Hi, welcome back to Casters of Valhalla. I'm Mike Oieo. Joining me tonight is Ken Matthias. Good morning, Mike. Good morning, Ken. How are you? Terrific. All right. Ready to talk about some great games? I am. I am ready to talk about our 30 through 11. Um, and uh, so I think we had our over, our over, what, over late? No, was it over? Uh, we both have the same. Oh, crossovers? Crossover. Thank you. Sorry. Long day at work. <laughs> our crossover list is at five now. So um, we'll see what it ends up being at the end of uh, today. So or tonight or this episode, whatever you want to say. All right. My number 30 is an old game. Uh, it is actually one of the games I grew up playing. It's one of the games that turned me into a gamer at this point. Um, there's a lot of nostalgia value. It's also a dungeon crawl, and it is Hero Quest. I have the I have the 1989 version. I did not get the new version that Avalon, Avalon Hill kickstarted a few years ago. This is... Uh, this, I, I just have so many fond memories of playing this with my buddies and um, playing through the campaign as Zargon and, you know, leveling up and everybody's trying to get the, the long sword for the barbarian and the dwarf is trying to get the battle axe and the elf's trying to get the crossbow. And the art was very cool about the, with the armory, this, how you could upgrade stuff. Now, is this, uh, is this a great dungeon crawl at this, at this period of time? No, there's, there's, I mean, a lot of the other dungeon crawls I've mentioned are probably better than this game overall in terms of mechanics and play. Um, but this is this is a lot of nostalgia value for me because this is the game that I grew up playing. This is one of the reasons I'm a board gamer now. I mean, this came out in the late 80s. I think 89 is when it came out. And like, you know, back then, like there was nothing like this. Um, you know, you I mean, obviously you had D&D, which started in the 70s, but like dungeon crawls weren't a thing like this is the og dungeon crawl with like the, the weapon rack and the bookcase you had to put together like just in, in, the, in what's what's great is the uh, Stephen baker was a designer he's one of the og designers of HeroScape. one of the reasons i i picked up HeroScape is because it had the same name as hero quest the dice system's the same essentially um so just just so much nostalgia fun game i i remember playing this ages and ages ago every father's day i get this out and play with my kids it's kind of a, a tradition for us but this is my number 30 hero quest my number 30 is kind of a crossover with ken i mean it, it essentially is although the game is a little different than the one that i believe ken has played and this is battle lore second edition um ken had what you had uh, memoir 44 and you had battle lore uh and battle cry and battle cry right but it was it was battle lore uh first edition right no it was second edition oh it was okay so this is a crossover i i think it, i think that counts as a crossover yeah that that definitely counts then i thought i thought it was first because i've played first as well and first is like a, a fair bit de- decent th- uh, a fair bit different than second edition i i Bo has all of like all of first edition, but my son um, has um, I don't know like like a decent amount of second edition. So I kind of counted as I was kind of thinking more like you know I guess I was thinking both editions, but I think that still counts as a crossover. Yeah, yeah, it definitely does. Um, so this one to me is like I, I would say it's probably 
around the same weight as a HeroScape in the sense that it's pretty rules light. It's pretty easy to get into it. Um, there is dice rolling for combat and uh, there is tact uh, tactical movement. So um, the, the main difference is in the is in a couple of things, right? In this one, it is scenario driven. What I really what I really like about this one is that you each bring half of the scenario, right? So you each bring one card and and it's based on your faction so you pick you pick one of the three factions um and there so there are two in the core box there's an expansion for each and then there's also a third faction the undead faction which i actually just went down and hunted uh and and found um definitely paid a little too much for it but i just wanted to have it and be able to play with it and the third one's like an undead faction which is really cool so there's two expansions for that that make like a whole army for it um so you you pick a scenario and there's about, I don't know, a dozen scenarios per faction. Um, you set up your board, your half of the board, your opponent does the exact same with like the terrain tiles and like victory point counters and such. And then it tells you, it shows you your deployment spots as well. Deployment's really cool in this game because you take these face, you take these cards and you set them out like, and, and you set out, um, you set them out face down in your deployment zone. And you also take decoy cards which are just blank on the other side and also put them out to fill out the spaces so your opponent doesn't know where like where you're setting anything up in your starting zone and then at the same time you reveal your cards and then place out the units accordingly it's a really cool way to do like like double blind setup um it's something i haven't seen implemented in another game uh again at least that i know of so, you, you know, you're going to have a scenario. It's going to give you your special rules. It's going to give you some special ways to either score extra points or whatever. Um, you're going to build your army out of your faction. Uh, there were some neutral units as well, but I don't have them. And nowadays they go for like 40 to 50 bucks a pop, which is just way too expensive for what you get, in my opinion. Um, what's really cool is the, the card system, right? Uh, so there are two different types of cards. There are lore cards, which lore cards are like special ability cards. It's what the second edition added. And so one side of the one side of your dice um, is just a lore side. So like it's, it's functionally a blank with regards to like dealing damage, but it gains you a lore counter and then you could spend this lore to activate these really powerful and cool abilities that are again, different per faction. Um, the other card system is the command card system. So this is part of the command and color system where basically the board is split up into three lanes, essentially uh, three like lines and when you play a card, it'll often tell you to like activate three units on the left flank, right? Or you can activate one unit on the left, one in the center, one on the right, etc. Now, normally, uh, and the, there are special cards as well. Some are determined by the type of units you have, etc. In in the normal base rules, you shuffle all the cards together. It's a communal draw deck where both you and your opponent are going to be drawing cards from it. Um, which I really dis like. I really dislike that mechanic. Uh, so what I do is I actually do what the app did. So there was an app for this back in like 2013 or 14 that I played a fair bit. And in the app, instead, you got one copy of each of those different command cards to your hand, and you started the game with them. And then you also got one for each different type of unit you had. So like if there was an art, if I had any archer units, I would get one archer command card. If I got, if I had any cavalry units, I would get one cavalry unit command card etc um and then on my turn i either play any one card from my hand uh or i can activate any one unit and pick up my entire discard pile of those command cards back to my hand so it adds like a hand management element and gets rid of the randomness and the luck that could happen with you know 
oh, I really need to activate these units to my left flank, but I just didn't draw any left flank cards. Now in the base rules, you can always just discard a card to just use any one unit, but that feels terrible. And it's, it's honestly just really bad. Um, it's just really bad for you if you have to do that multiple times in a game. So I, I just really like what the app did to, to kind of fix that, in my opinion. So, you know, if you're already going to have the variance in the dice, I don't like adding the variance in the card draws, too. I'd much rather play it with that hand management system. And my dad and I have really enjoyed that. So um, that's my number 30, Battle Lore Second Edition. All right. So that makes uh, crossover number six. And uh, my number 29 will be crossover number seven, and that is Star Wars X-Wing. Uh, specifically, first edition. Um, I heard, like Mike said, I heard 2.5 is less than stellar, to be polite about it. Um, this was my go-to war game. Uh, I love this game. I, I, I play this all the time. I don't typically like measuring games, uh, measure movement, but for whatever reason, the X-wing with 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 the uh, with the sticks for movement, like I, I don't know, I was okay with it, which was really interesting because I was typically that's not my style. Um, I had a blast playing four shuttles, quad shuttle builds with tactician and target lock. Like I had so much fun with this game, but I got to the point where um, it was getting expensive. Um, my buddies were getting tired of playing with me. Second edition was on the horizon and I, I was at Gen Con and I was playing, I think I was, I was either three and one or four and one. I was playing in for a day two and I was playing against somebody and, um, with my, with my quad shuttle build and the guy tried to barrel roll one way, took his hand off the, took his hand off the. The, I don't know, stick, I'm going to say, the, the the thing that you move with, and then um, saw that he couldn't get out of my firing arc, so he put it back down and went the other way, and I said, hey, man, you already did that. He's like, no, I didn't. So, like, at that point, like, I was just, I, I mean, that was the straw that broke the camel's back for me. I actually, I already, I actually hung up my X-Wing after that, because I, it was just, I was like, dude, like, if you want to win that bad, you can have the game. Like, I'm not interested in playing against somebody that wants to cheat so bad that they're going to win like that. Um, but, but regard, but th there's a lot of other things going on. Like my buddies were starting to be done playing with me because I kept winning. Like um, I'd go to local tournaments and we'd have fun, but then like, they would last like, you know, I'd go like at 10 in the morning and I wouldn't get home till like after 8 PM. Um, and they would happen like once a month. And th my wife was like, Hey, you need to be home more often. Um, so th there was just a lot of things going on with that. Um, I'm kind of second edition, I think was probably okay. I wasn't super interested in it, but like the, when I, the time I had X-Wing, we had an absolute blast playing, uh, whether it was one V one or two, uh, two V two, we played, we played mainly one V one. Um, it, it, it was just a phenomenal game. I, I love, I mean, everybody loves star Wars. So I had that going for me and just all the different abilities and be able to, you know, just much like HeroScape, you know, build my squad the way I want it built and add the and add whatever I wanted to add for just all the various, you know, little options you could you could uh, put on your ships uh, and your pilots. It was, it was an amazing game. And I really I really enjoyed the time I played it. But like kind of like um, Star Wars Rebellion, 
I really enjoyed that game when I played it, but I, I just like at this point I'm kind of just done, and I feel like I'm. It's the same thing with X-wing. Like that was a great period of time in my life. And if somebody wanted to play first edition and had all the first edition stuff, I'd probably play it with them. But like I'm, I'm glad to be out of it if that makes sense. Um, like I, I don't know, Mike. Like I'm not trying to say like it's a bad game now, but it's just like my my time my my time with that game is past. If that makes sense. It definitely makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. And that's my number 29, Star Wars X-Wing, specifically first edition. Yeah. And what's interesting is like second edition is functionally just first edition, but they like fix some of the issues. And then like they call it 2.5 and then 2.5 is like a massive change from 2.0. Right. Like the second edition. That's like the funny like part of the naming convention of it is like 2.0 and 1.0 yeah. are like the same game basically. And then 2.5, they just said, you know, let's change like half of the game. That's that's what I heard. And, <laughs> and one of the guys that used to make top eight in finals, he lived in Omaha. Uh, Aaron, I can't remember his last name. So like, you know, I, I play with him all the time in tournaments and he was a very cool guy. Like it was a very, it was a very cool feeling. And then you go to, you go to Gen Con and just have that one bad experience. And granted, like, I'm not going to quit a game because it wasn't bad experience, but like, it was just all the other things kind of like mounting up. And I was just like, you know what, it's time to be done. Oh, and the other thing was my buddy, my buddy Garrett, uh, he played X-Wing and like, we traveled together in the car for like 11 hours and we ended up playing each other the second round. And that always sucks, um, at Gen Con. So, All right, my number 29 is, um, it's a Euro game, uh, but it's like, it's one of the coolest Euro games designed, in my opinion. So this is actually a, like a board game about playing a trading card game. And this one is called Millennium Blades. So this is, you know, at its core, a, like an economic game in the sense that, you are doing all of the trading card game player things that like if you play any of these trading card games, you are buying packs of cards, you are trading, you are selling and buying on the aftermarket, you are creating card collections and you are building ultimately your deck for the tournament. And all of this is simulated through, you know, you get all these uh this money, it's paper money, which like usually sucks. But what they did is like you get it, it's it's a like a rubber banded stack of like 10 pieces of paper for each one which is really cool so it's really satisfying to throw this money around um you are buying like instead of buying like a full pack of cards and cracking it open you know just like in a normal card game usually you only care about that rare or that mythic rare spot right um and so in this one like each card is just like that's that's basically the rare the mythic rare you pulled from the pack and some of these cards are extremely powerful but of course you have to be able to build your deck around it so you're scrambling on the aftermarket scrambling just trying to buy stuff from the store um the actual card game part itself is kind of like whatever you essentially just play like you bring a, a deck of eight cards or you bring eight uh what are called singles or just eight cards you also bring one deck box card which will also alter your like strategy and what you're trying to do and you bring up to two accessories um again will modify and just like help you do what you need to do and then you end up playing six of these cards left to right alternating between you and your opponent you score victory points some of them do interact but for the most part you just play it and it'll score you some points um and at the end of that like kind of tournament uh you also score bonus points for certain things and there's a metagame bonus for both the, the attributes and the types of cards right which you know kind of reflects like metagames and in card games in general um 
What's also cool is it's a real-time game during the actual like purchasing phase, right? So like you put eight minutes on the clock, you reveal one of those uh, one of those aftermark or one of those metagame cards, and then you get eight minutes real time to do all this stuff, right? You're trying to build your deck, you're trying to build your collection, um, you are trying to uh, you know just just buy and sell cards, etc. And then you flip over the next one, the the, the other of the two metagame uh, cards. That'll affect your, let's say, your attribute instead of your type. And then you, again, put like eight minutes on the clock, right? And so it's really an interesting game. Um, if you like collectible card games, this is definitely a game to check out for one that like kind of simulates that feeling of the outside of the card game itself aspect of, of card gaming, which um, as somebody that grew up playing tons of Yu-Gi-Oh, you know, as as an elementary schooler like this this kind of hits all the notes for me so that's my number 29 millennium blades i've never heard of that game actually um interesting all right my number 28 is a game by my favorite my current favorite board game company um and that and this game is called cloud spire by chip theory games um, I want to mention a little bit about Chip Theory real quick and then get into Cloudspire. Ch- I think Chip Theory Games is probably the best board game company out there currently, when it, especially when it comes to components of board games. I don't think there's a, another board game company that even comes close to how high quality components that Chip Theory puts out. Um, I, I, they just continue uh, over and over to to amaze me about how high quality they have uh, um, of whatever board game it is that they're 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 making okay so cloud spire is a it's a tower defense game you are in a floating island and there's various factions trying to fight over what they call is the source um and on your turn you're going to be sending your minions out to attack your opponents uh your opponent's base or their gate and each each faction has their own units um each faction has their own heroes you know, each faction has its own like upgrades it can build. Um, what's cool is this. Uh, so the big thing about chip theory is uh, they're all poker chips, but they're obviously weighted poker chips. There's art on them, um, you know, and, and things like that. So it's not just like a plain poker chip. But chip theory games is all about chips. They actually have uh, they have spires in this game, so the spires have minis, so you can put the chips on top, which is very cool. Um, but basically, it's a tower defense. You're trying to destroy your opponent's gate or their base. They're sending their minions towards towards your base, trying to do the same thing. Now, what I will say about this game is I love the versus mode. So there, so when I, I've talked earlier about how sometimes people just put a versus have a like a versus mode, and then sometimes they like tack on a solo or cooperative mode. Um. In Cloudspire, I really enjoy the the versus mode. Whether and this is one to four players, so it's whether it's one v one, a one v one v one, or v one at a fourth, one v one v one v one, or two v two. I think all of those work fine. Um, the more players you have, the longer it's going to play, especially if it's a, a new player, because all your units have abilities. Uh, your faction has abilities. Like your fortress gate, everything you can build has abilities. Um, your heroes have special abilities, right? So what's cool is like your minions have to have to go towards your opponent's base, but your heroes can go explore the land because there's landscapes or there, maybe there's uh, there's like roaming monsters that you can kill and they're usually on top of a source well. 
And then if you destroy them, you can build your spires off the source well. Um, but the, the, the solo and the cooperative, they play okay, but they're not my favorite because in Cloudspire, as I mentioned, there's already a lot going on. And then if, if you're playing like solo, so like the faction that you think you know, like there's different rules for that faction in this specific scenario you're playing. And then like on the specific map you're playing, what's cool is they have neoprene maps that all kind of connect together. So it's very cool. But in this specific map, like this specific area does a special thing. And then like, like oh, plus at the end of the round, this one thing happens. Oh, and also like your your, uh, your the AI for your opponent is doing this one thing, except when this one thing happens, like it's just too much, man. It's just too much. Um, like, you know, just worrying about your own stuff when you're playing 1v1v1 or whatever is fine. But once you start throwing everything else in, it just gets a little bit too much. I will say what's very cool is there's like maybe eight different factions and each faction has like a little like four part storyline that they created for solo and co-op, which is pretty cool. All about these source wells and these floating islands and stuff. That's really neat. Um, and the factions are pretty cool because they're not like their typical like elves and doors. It's more like, you know, you got birds and bugs and tree folk and, and giants and, and like these energy, like these lightning elves. So um, and, and sky pirates. So it's, it's a very fun game. Chip Theory Games puts it on. Like I said, my favorite company by far. It's a the game's a little bit intense in terms of like just everything you have to know, but the but the idea of the game is pretty simple, and like I said, I I like the versus mode way better than the solo cooperative, and that is my number twenty eight, and that is Cloudspire. Yeah, Ken's definitely right about component quality. Like like Chip Theory is pretty clearly on top of the game and has been for like five, ten years or so when it comes to component quality. I think like my biggest thing with them is just it's it's as you mentioned, like they don't make light games usually. Like this is a this is not a light game, you know. And it's not cheap. They don't make cheap games. Like Correct. you're you you get high quality stuff, but you're also paying for it. Like I don't think you're paying ridiculous amount of money, but like it's not cheap. So Yeah. All right, my number 28 is about the exact opposite of Cloudspire. This is a small two-player card game, um, but it's not even really, like, I, I guess it is a card game. This one is either Hanami Koji or uh, Jishi Academy. Um, it's the same game, two different printings. I have Jishi Academy. Uh, this is a little Japanese card game from Emperor S4, and um, in this one, you basically are just trying to control these like there are seven or seven or so different type different cards right and they are numbered two to five um so there are like three twos i want to say three threes two fours and a five or something uh maybe maybe only two threes and um there for each one of those different cards right for each one of those twos that like the two is the point value for that card, but it's also the number of copies in the deck of, of that given card, right? So there's like a red two. And so there are two red twos in the deck. And anyways, what happens is you and your opponent each get dealt out a hand of, of these cards, some of these cards, and about seven remain in the deck. And on your turn, what you do um, is you draw a card from the deck and then take one of four actions. And each round you have to take each of these four actions exactly once. And 
these four actions are how you play out these cards to the center. And essentially at the end of that round, you move this sword from the center of each card to your side. If you have, if you've played more of that card than your opponent and you're trying to either win, I think it's like you either have to win 11 points across these cards or you have to win, I think four of the seven. Right. Um, but the way and, and if you don't, if neither of you wins that round, you actually leave the swords where they are and then you play another round. Right. You keep going. And again, you see at the end of that round, did somebody after moving the swords and, and if we tie, that means the sword stays on my side. What's really interesting is how you actually play these cards. So essentially the four different actions, one of them is you choose one card from your hand, you put it face down under that token and then at the end of the round, the very last thing both players do is play out that card for free onto their side. The two is you take two cards from your hand, you put them face down under it, and those cards are discarded from the round. So your opponent doesn't know what you're discarding and don't know which cards are going to be removed from that round. The three is you choose three cards from your hand, you offer them to your opponent, your opponent chooses one and plays it, and then you play the other two. And the four is you choose four cards from your hand, you offer it to your opponent in two pairs, your opponent chooses and plays one of those two pairs, and then you choose and play these, play the other. So which cards it, it's such a simple game but which cards you choose to use for which actions in what order you take these actions um you know how how you can like you're trying to read your opponent on what they're discarding face down right and getting rid of and then what they're discarding and, and saving for later uh it's just super interesting it's a really tactical uh smart little two-player game plays in like 15 to 20 minutes, which I really like. So this to me is kind of, it's one of two games. I have one a little higher up, but this is just one of the best, in my opinion, two player um, kind of filler games in the sense that there's just so much strategy and, you know, smart game design packed into such a tiny little package. So this one to me is just, is just a fantastic game. So that's my number 28 Hanami Koji or Jishi Academy. All right. Well, my number 27 is uh, a game called Hero Realms. Um, Hero Realms is a re-implementation of Star Realms, but in a fantasy setting. And you're like, oh, well, Star Realms, you know, like it's you have a market in the middle. You're buying thing. You're buying like actions and heroes and you're, you're just fighting each other like, oh, that's OK. Well, then they came out with um, like. An expansion so you can buy like you can play like as a cleric or a fighter or a ranger or a thief or a wizard and like oh okay that's pretty cool that changes up a little bit more well then they came out with the expansion where like you could fight like you could fight like three or four on one like somebody plays a, a, a boss like a, a dragon or a lich and then like all of you are fighting him and like oh, okay well that's pretty cool well then they came out with a campaign system where you can play through and upgrade your upgrade your de uh, your deck as you go and upgrade your your hero as you go. Like maybe your wizard's special ability is like he takes the damage to draw a card. Well, maybe you know by the time you're done upgrading him, he actually heals three damage and draws a card. Um, so they did a they did a really nice job of just continuing. Like like you know if they just had the regular hero realms, I probably would you know this would. I don't even know if this makes my top 100, but they just did a really nice job of just adding a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more and just making this game very versatile, especially like depending on like what kind of game group you have, like, you know, like straight up Hero Realms is probably for a newer gamer, like the the one verse all with the, the bosses and stuff. That's probably for a little bit more seasoned gamer. And then maybe you have a, a 
a consistent game night where you're always having people show up and like, oh, let's try playing the campaign. So it, it's it's done really well. It's all cards. Um, if you guys don't know, if you guys are familiar with Star Realms, it's the same system. There's a market in the middle and um, you're warring back and forth. And and this is just a, a fantasy style version. But but yeah, this is my number 27 and that's Hero Realms. All right, my uh, my number 27 is what I consider the best gateway game of all time. It's a classic. It's about 20 years old now. Um, this one came out from in 2004 from Days of Wonder. Uh, Alan Moon is the designer, and this is Ticket to Ride. I think this game is fantastic. I think it's like kind of the pinnacle of smart game design in the sense of stripping a game down to its bare elements. Like there's not a single mechanic you can remove from this game, and it still works pretty much. Um, it is just exceptionally clean. Uh, on your turn, you take one of three actions. I mean, all you're trying to do is you're trying to connect routes. So if you know if, if that doesn't appeal to you, you definitely shouldn't play this. But it's set collection, right? Where you're trying to collect sets of train cards that are you know given colors. You're trying to collect sets of green or red or blue or yellow, etc. Cards. Um, and you're trying. So what you have are these destination tickets, which tell you. Like you're trying to get from this city to this city, et cetera. So you kind of want to match up these tickets so that you can have like overlapping routes and and use your train smartly. Um, it's you know there's a there's another row out there of train cards that you use to actually claim these routes. So like you know maybe a route requires you to have four greens, right? So you have to discard four green cards from your hand, and there are wild cards as well uh, that you can use. Um, on your turn, you take one of three actions. You either play a route, right, or you draw some new destination tickets, or you draw those train cards, and that's it. That's that's the whole game. What I really like about it is, again, how fast it is, how fast turns are, right? I take my turn. It's up to you, up to the next person, back to me, right? It's just It just goes around the table really fast, plays really well across the player count, can play two, can play five, can play anywhere in between, and you're gonna it's going to work. Um it also has a ton of expansions, which I just like the variety they add. A lot of them add little extra rules and stuff. Um, for example, like Marklin, there's a passenger that you're also trying to move around and collect these point chips out there. Netherlands, there are tolls. Um, there are just a variety of these different expansions that, you know, th there's also different endgame bonuses depending on the ones you play. So, like in, in US, I think it's having the longest route, um, whereas in India, you're trying to like create these circles, right? These circular routes and that'll score you extra points in that one. So um, yeah, just a really good game. There's a legacy version coming out uh, that has gotten just tremendously high reviews. So I'm very looking forward to trying that one out. It's coming out from um, Days of Wonder, of course, by Alan Moon um, with Rob Davio and uh, Matt Leacock, who the two of them did Pandemic Legacy. So I think that's why it's going so well, is you've got an established game with two of the smartest minds for converting those games into Legacy. So that is my number 27, Ticket to Ride. I would say like the US version is probably my favorite, especially with the, I believe it's called 1912 expansion, uh, which adds more tickets and adds um, full-size cards, I think in the original printing and I, I don't know if it's still this way, but but you used to get these tiny little cards in just the base game for for some reason. And then they in all the later things, it's like in all the expansions and maybe in the base game. Now you get full sized, you know, really nice cards. So um, 
yeah, I guess the base game, but again, I really do like the variety of expansions uh, for it, and they all, you know, just change it up enough for me. So that's my number 27, Ticket to Ride. Hey, Mike, uh, that is not a crossover for me um, at all. Just just letting you know. Um, thanks, I, thanks. I was uh, I was really wondering. Yeah, because, you know, I like Ticket to Ride almost as much as I like going to the dentist. All right. My number 26 is uh is a deck builder and there's also a legacy version of this but this is called aeon's end and aeon's end you are breach mages that are fighting these nameless things back from uh post-apocalypse um and this game this game has probably about 397 expansions and like yet everything's still awesome like there's, there's, so the, the gist of the game is, uh, what's cool about this game is you don't shuffle your deck either. So, um, so as you buy things, you, 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 when you buy something, you put in your discard pile, and then after your turn's over, you can discard your hand how you want, put in your discard pile. And then when you go to draw and you're out of cards, you just flip over your discard pile, and now that becomes your draw deck. So you get into the point where you get to kind of set up your draws a little bit. But what's cool in this game is on your turn, um, you have these, these breaches in front of you. And that's the only way you can cast spells is use the power of these breaches. So you have to like prep the spell and wait till your next turn before you cast the spell. And these breaches, uh, mages usually have anywhere between like three to four breaches in front of them. And you have to try and open these breaches by paying uh, paying a cost to open them. Uh, all your all your mages have special abilities they can power up. Um, this is a cooperative game. You're you're playing against a big bad, um, and you're you're buying you're buying. Uh, there's usually a relic you can buy, spells you can buy, and uh, s- uh, some sort of uh, purchasing power you can buy. I think they call it Aether in this game. Um, and it, it's it's just very cool how everybody, every mage is so different. Um, they, they, there's an iPad version of this that's actually uh, very well done. But all, all the mages are very different. Like, all the all the big nameless guys are very different. And, and like, even, like, so the, the deck builder about the... Uh, in, in, um, the supply in Dominion, they called it the kingdom cards or whatever, but the supply is so vast and all, all the various things you can do. And there's also a legacy version that you can play, or as you play through, you're actually building your own mage. And then once your mage is built, you can play him, you know, in uh, other versions of Aeon's end. Um, but th- this is a lot of fun. Uh, I really like the, the turn system too. And the turn system is pretty simple. Um, the the good guys get four turns and the bad guy gets two turns and you just so if it's a four player game everybody gets one if it's a two player game everybody gets two turns if it's a four if a one player game everybody gets four turns but in a three player game um you have you know one two and three and then you have like a wild turn so you so you shuffle up the deck you know there's four good guy turns and then two bad guy turns and you never know what the initiative is going to be so it's it's kind of fun to like okay well you know, he, when he does, he's going to activate this minion. He's going to flip over a card. The card's going to be something evil that happens to us. Maybe I can get this spell cast before he flips over. So there's a little bit about, like, trying to count the deck a little bit and a little bit of risk management in terms of, like, okay, should I try and cast this spell or, or you know, what order I should do? And what's kind of fun is, like, it's a delayed cast. You have to prep the spell and wait the next turn to cast it. Um, but anyway, uh, it's my number 26. Uh, fun little deck builder. I say little when there's so many expansions, um, and that's Aeon's End. 
All right, my number 26 is a crossover with Ken uh, from a previous list of his. This is um, my second favorite Corey Kanezka game. It is my third favorite big, like really big epic game. I've got three, all fell on this part of the list. All three are, I would say like six to eight hour games, right? These are long games, they're epic games. And this one is Star Wars Rebellion. Um, I would say specifically with the, uh, whatever the expansion is, I, I can't remember the name of the expansion, but it definitely improves the combat system, which was probably the weakest part of the original. It, it's still fine. Like the original combat is fine. It works. Um, but the updated system is the more, I would say the more standard, modern uh dudes on a map combat system of of play a card plus roll dice and then um it does you know something that the other game that i i don't want to spoil yet but the other game does as well which is like and then if you've got specifically this unit in combat you can instead play this card for a better effect right which i really like um this one centers i mean this is star wars in a box this is your original trilogy experience in a box which is really cool um, you know, it's, you've got these leaders who are your main characters from, from the story and it's, it's empire versus rebellion. The rebels are much weaker militarily. Um, they're trying to complete objectives. They're also trying to keep the rebel base hidden. Whereas the empire's sending out probe droids and, you know, uh, just moving their, their might around and subjugating planets. And there's fights over, you know, control of planets, gaining loyalty. And then if you have loyalty to these planets, they produce and, you know, they produce different things, what be it ground troops or, you know, light fighters or cruisers. Right. And, um, you know, the empire can build the death star. They can build the star destroyers. They can build Vader's star destroyer. Uh, so it's just, it's just epic. It's cool. It's fun. It, the, the actual gameplay is really smart. I would say this is actually the second smartest of the three big games that I have on my list. Um, in the sense that I like, so what you do is basically you get, you have these leaders and you put them out and then they activate either the system they're in or they act, you know, they, they do something else and you can use them to move your troops. And, um, they, yeah, I mean, it's, it's really a, a pretty smart game design. Yes, there's luck. Um, but overall, I mean, this is this is a really good one. Again, if you have the time, you can play it two to four. I've played it both with two, um, primarily with two, actually. And then I have played it once with four or no, twice with four. Sorry. And two is definitely better. Um, there's not really a reason to play this one with four, in my opinion. So this is a great two player game. Again, it, it's pretty much as simple as do you want the Star Wars original trilogy in a box? You know, and the expansion adds Rogue One as well. So, you know, you can toss it in as well. But um, if the answer is yes, you should play this. And if the answer is no, then you probably shouldn't. So um, that's my number 26, Star Wars Rebellion. Good game. Uh, crossover count number eight. Okay, uh, my number twenty-five is Mage Knight. Um, I I have a love-hate relationship with this game. I have actually owned this game three times. I've sold it off twice because um, I just the first time I played it, I thought this is too Euroy for me. The second time I played it, I got frustrated by the system. Um, the second time I owned it, I should say I won it at a HeroScape tournament actually. And then the third time I played it, I was just like, because uh, Eminem had it, Miniature Market had it on sale. I was like, I'm going to try it again. 
the third time I played it, I'm like, I get it. Um, and this game is it's a, it's a puzzly deck builder. Um, you are a mage knight trying to do various tasks. Um, this plays one to four players. It plays solo, cooperatively, uh, competitively, and semi-competitively. I think the competitive and semi-competitive uh, modes are stupid. I think uh, solo is infinitely better than um, than cooperative. I played a four-hour cooperative, four-player cooperative game this the other day. It took five and a half hours, though there was a bunch of new people. To be fair, but we had a blast. Um, in this game, you are you are a mage knight. Uh, you're exploring uh, a set of like a dungeon tile, well, not really dungeon tiles, but like adventure tiles. And as you move out, you know you might you might uncover a goblin, or you might uncover a mage tower, or you might uncover uh, a, a dungeon, or you maybe you uncover. Uh, a, a castle and, and as you're going around killing these enemies by playing your cards your cards like a lot of times are move defense attack or influence and that's that's your four basic uh things you can do there's a couple other things here and there but um you're trying to trying to math out or puzzle out how you could how this hand of cards you have is able to defeat whatever enemy you have to defeat whether you have to take wounds in the process whether you whether you need whether you can get a ranged attack off before you actually engage them in hand-to-hand combat um, it, depending on what you defeat, you level up by getting artifacts, you level up by getting spells, you level up by getting, uh, higher skill cards or, or you find allies that can join your, uh, join your party. This game, uh, what's cool about this game is, uh, every card has, every card has kind of two different things it can do. The top card is like your base, the top part of the card is like your base. Well, the bottom part of the card is if you spend a mana to power up this card, you can do that. So part of the game is about using the dice in the mana pool you have. um, You only use one dice per turn to level up the card and collecting these crystals that you can get various ways through the game. So that when you do fight the big boss at the end, whether it's a castle sea or a city siege or whether you're fighting um, whatever his name is, the big general that's uh, coming to attack your portal or or. You know, there's various other things in the expansion. And there's like, a, I think like an ice mate, ice princess mage you have to fight and some other things. So there's there's lots of different ways you can play this. Um, and then there's there's also day and night. So like at night, your spells get more powered up in the day. Like it's harder to move through uh, deserts. So. And as you and you get reputation by destroying like rampaging enemies, you lose reputation by attacking fortified locations. So it's a, it's, a, it's about it's about like managing all that stuff and then as you're playing this game which you can play again a, a solo game of mage knight probably takes two hours maybe two and a half with setup and tear down but as you're playing this game you're you start out this like little puny mage knight and then by the end of the game you're like this super powerful throwing spells and using uh your like your these ice golems that you recruited to attack and it's just it's done very well if you are like I, I bet the complexity of this game is close to almost a five. What is it on BGG? Four point six five. Yeah, like if if you're looking for a heavier game, a puzzly game that's got a very cool like uh, fantasy theme, um, and it, it, it is a little bit Euro like disguised as a Meritrash. I still think it's more Meritrash than it is Euro, but um, it's. It, it's a lot of fun. In particular, uh, the Ultimate Edition has all the expansions with all the different characters. Now, the characters aren't super different. I think you start with a, a hand of deck of sixteen or hand of or a hand a deck of sixteen cards, and only two of them are like character specific of the sixteen. 
Um, so you can kind of level up your character any way you want as you're, as you're playing. But this game is uh, a lot a lot of fun, especially solo. There's a little bit to keep track of, but it's actually not too bad. Um, but that is my my number twenty five, uh, and I can't say I can't say enough good things about this game. This game is this game is a lot of fun, um, specifically solo, and that is Mage Knight. So I'm actually in a bit of a string of three or four of these dudes on map games. This one is a little lighter and not lighter. Actually, this one is probably just as complex as rebellion, if not more, but it's shorter. Um, this one is the battle of five armies, um, which is a, I don't want to say a spinoff on war of the ring, but it's like, it uses some of the same systems as war of the ring. Uh, it's by the same design team. Um, still by Ares Games, um, which, again, it's, so it's the same people that did War of the Ring, um, which is, spoiler alert, my 24, so I'll be talking about that one right after this one. What I like about Battle of Five Armies is it uses the same dice system as War of the Ring, where you have these action dice, and both sides roll their action dice, and that kind of dictates what you can do, but each action die, like, face can be used for you know, a number of different things, right? There are cards that you can draw, you can play, um, you can move units, you can bring more units in from your reserves, um, you can attack, you can move your characters, you can activate certain special abilities, etc. What's uh, So what Battle 5 Armies is, is essentially the final battle from The Hobbit, right? And it is just that battle. Um, so essentially you've got the Lonely Mountain and you've got, you know, the Eastern Spur and the and the slopes and um, you've got Bree and, and Lake Town. And uh, so the, the free peoples controls that and they control um, dwarves, they control elves, they control men. Uh, they also get like Gandalf. They uh, and like later in during the game, like Bjorn comes out, the Eagles comes out um, and then the other player plays the shadow and they play, you know, they've got orcs and trolls and wargs, and they've also got goblins that can come down from the mountains. Um, and so it, it's a really cool, you know, asymmetrical two player game uses also the same card system that War of the Ring uses, which is basically that a lot of your cards are, uh, you know, there, there's a top half and a bottom half and, you can play the top half for its effect, just like on your turn as an action by spending the right die result, or you can use that bottom half during combat. Um, this is kind of what I mentioned about Rebellion, where like for combat, you play a card and then you roll dice, right? Like, which is again, kind of the modern way that games do uh, combat in these like two player, or just like these dudes on the map games in general. Like that's one of the very common ways that you see it done, which is just a lot better than just pure rolling dice for, for like a more complex game, you know, something above like a hero scape. Right. Um, I think the reason I like this one so much is, is in part just because the length of the game is, is a lot shorter than like a rebellion or a war of the ring. You know, you're looking at like, you know, two and a half, three hours maybe for this one. I, I think you can get you can get it down to like two hours, you know, maybe even shorter, like if you play it a lot, but we just we've only played it a few times. Um, it really it's it's very different. Like how you have to approach this game is actually significantly different than War of the Ring. And I think that's kind of why it took a little bit for it to click for us that like even though the systems are the same, like largely the same, um, 
your actual strategy, like how you want to play this game is just very different. It's pretty interesting in that regard that they were able to make it so different. So, um, you know, I, again, kind of the big upside of this one over War of the Ring is the shorter game length. So it, it's pretty cool. You've also like the free people's player gets the generals, including uh, Bard. They get Gandalf, they get Thranduil, um, and they can uh, they also will end up getting Thorin and Bilbo and they can you know, put these activation markers, but the more activation markers you put out on your generals, the more like the worse the the less something happens um for the free people's player as well which is this fate track which determines like the fate track basically if it gets to 15 then the free people's player wins uh, so they're trying to get to the end of the track and that's how they also get those other characters out but the shadow player will be able to slow it down easier if the free people's player activates more of these generals, right? So it's a pretty cool balancing mechanic of like, how much do I want to do? Cause like these abilities are really strong, but you know, that means the shadow player is going to be able to drag this game out longer, which means that it's going to be tougher for me to win as a free, as the free people's player. So um, yeah, just a really interesting game. Very cool. Uh, very different than war of the ring, even though the systems are, you know, pretty similar I, I will say one negative is just that it is still too complex um they don't do a good job streamlining uh you know war of the ring is like a 50 page rule book battle of five armies is probably a 40 page rule book uh there's a lot of small rules including types of terrain um battle advantages um all these little small rules that honestly they could have just stripped out and i i don't think it would really miss anything so um you know just even things like you know for battle like your unit strength might be two on a cave troll but when it comes to a battle advantage that only gets it only counts as a one and then like if you play the the card that goes with the cave troll you don't get to like change out a number of dice equal to the strength instead it's just one per mini per cave troll right so like just like these little kind of unintuitive things you just have to memorize and just um deal with so that's again my, my biggest negative with the game otherwise really cool game tons of fun um that is the battle of five armies how, how old is that game mike it is probably a decade old i want to say it's like 2010 ish or so but they just came out with a second edition it had been out of print for a while um so they or not not a second edition um just like a, a second a reprint print run. yeah oh yeah Okay. Yeah, I have I have not played that. I have not played that. So I would definitely play that. Not that dudes on the maps are my favorite, but I mean Lord of the Rings is is Lord of the Rings. So Yeah, and and it's like as 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 much as I say like how you approach the game might be a little different. Like if, if you like one, you'll like the other is basically sure. it, right? Like if you like sure. War of the Ring, you'll like Battle of the Five Armies. And I don't think that if you like I think if you dislike one, you probably won't like the other. They are still in that same space, right? Sure. Makes sense. All right, uh, my number twenty-four is uh, is a game based off of a, uh, a an old German role-playing game, and this is Aventuria, the adventure card game. This is um, if you guys have played adventure card games, uh, there's a this this game can be played one of two ways, and, and both ways play play well. Um, it can be played in a dual mode where you like I pick a character, so I pick uh, the blacksmith or whatever, and my opponent picks the the witch or whatever. And uh, we shuffle our cards because we get a deck. And on your turn, you draw two cards. You can put two cards from your hand down as uh, basically mana, but they call it stamina in this game. 
and you can tap those cards to play to play like you play out like you're equipping your dude. You can play out like an axe and play out like a shield. And you play out like um, special abilities. And maybe the witch has like a, a pet cat she plays out, and the blacksmith has all these weapons. And on your turn, uh, your characters will have a stat like um, maybe my maybe my melee attack is a 13 with the um, uh, it's a d20 system, but it's but you want to roll lower. So it's uh, so it's interesting, but maybe uh, you know maybe my blacksmith has a thirteen for his uh, melee, and maybe he's got like a nine for his range, and maybe so he probably doesn't have any magic, right? So on your turn, you can do one of each attack based off the weapons you have, um, and and you can play as a dual mode, one v one, and you have equipment that can block it. And you have like um, you can try and dodge the attack by making some rolls, but I, the main way we play it is um, it there's a, it's a series of campaigns where you. Um, you know, there's a story that goes with it and you're making like, like you have uh, stats for like body control and constitution and wisdom and intelligence and all these things. So as you, as you play through like this 10 minute story where you're making a few stat rolls and depending on what happens, you may or may not get a bonus. or you may take some damage or maybe you start the game with the, the scenario with one less card. And then uh, you're fighting, it's a cooperative game at that point. And you're fighting together against this. Uh, this in, whatever this environment that's trying to do that's trying to hurt you he's you know some boss maybe it's a boss that's got some minions or maybe it's like you have to make some certain number of rolls body control rolls to get through a forest like maybe you're swinging from tree to tree or something and if you fall down like you get attacked by like snakes or something um so um it, it's a fun game what i like about this system is uh, i like that it's d20 like it's a d20 system but it's backwards so like a one's a crit um, a 20 is not. I like they have a fate system in this game where if you whiff your roll, you get a fate token. And then that fate token can be used later either for a reroll. It can be used for a mana point or it can be used to draw a card. Um, so and I also like that all the cards in your hand are also your mana, but they're also the cards you want to play. So you have to make decisions about like, OK, well, I got a war axe in my hand, but that costs six mana to get out. And I'm only have I have zero mana. And I have a sword in my hand that only costs two, so maybe I should play the war axe face down as a mana, um, or stamina, as they call it in this game, so I can play out and put out my sword to attack with later. So um, I, I, I picked this up at Gen Con, I think, in 20, I want to say 19. What year did this come out? Uh, what, how come I can't see the year? I'm getting old. Oh, 2019. So, yeah, I picked this up in Gen Con. Um, and, and, you know, uh, this, it's at uh, 2016, not 2019. I picked this up in Gen Con um, at 2016, and it's had several expansions since. And I, I have most of the expansions. There might be one or two that I don't have. Um, but this, this is a fun adventure. This is a fun card game. Um, you can play with your buddies cooperatively or play a quick versus. And this is Aventuria, the adventure card game. All right, as I just mentioned, my number 24 is War of the Ring, um, specifically the second edition. And this, this is a crossover with Ken. I would say the same thing I said about Rebellion, right? This is Lord, like the Lord of the Rings trilogy in a box. Um, I would also say that the expansions, uh, Lords of Middle-Earth and Warriors of Middle-Earth, are both worth it. They add to the game. They add to the experience. Um, Lords add some more you know, iconic characters and some extra stuff with them. And then Warriors adds three factions to each side. So like instead of the Ents just being one card in the event deck, now you can actually control the Ents, right? And same with the Eagles or the Corsairs of Un uh, of Umbar, etc. Um, you can control like the giant spiders. So really cool. Um, of course, 
what that means is you're adding more complexity to a game that's already a little more on the complex side, you know, which, but I, again, I think it's worth it. If you're already gonna be playing a game, this, this complex, I mean, maybe not for your first play of it, but I would just, I, I do think that just playing with everything is worth it. So you could have the Balrog, right. And, and all this stuff that you, you, you saw in the trilogy. Um, this is a long game, really long game. It's probably longer than rebellion. Um, so I would say like, usually we're playing this over two to four days, like oftentimes we're playing a, a number of rounds and then stopping for the day and going and doing something else while we're thinking, you know, about like what we want to, you know, about our strategy moving forward and stuff, because, you know, this, this is a long game. It's, it's a lot to do in just a single day. Um, but if you've got the table space, because man, it is a large game, then I think it's worth it. Um, what I like about this one over battle, of the five armies bees, like for me, game length is a negative. It's a huge negative. I don't like longer games usually, uh, usually, but, the number one thing Battle of the Five Armies took out that I dislike was the hunt for the ring, right? Battle of the Five Armies is purely a military game, whereas War of the Ring, yes, the like the evil player often wins militarily by capturing 10 victory points worth of free people's uh, strongholds and such. Um, the, the free people... Like they can win technically by capturing four victory points, which seems like not very much of the shadow player, but like the free people's player is just at such a huge disadvantage militarily um, that it is very difficult for that to actually happen. Instead, there's a secondary game happening at the exact same time where the free people's players trying to get the ring to Mordor. They're moving. It's kind of slightly hidden. Um, the, Shadow player is also trying to find it. If they can, if they can make Frodo reach the end of the corruption track, uh, there, like there's corruption track. If it hits the end, um, then the free people's player automatically loses because Frodo has succumbed to the ring. Whereas um, the other, uh, you know, the way that the free people's player can win is by getting the ring all the way to Mount Doom. So. It's really cool. I love the hunt for the ring element. I, I just think it adds so much to the game, you know, and, and it makes up for the fact that this is a long game and it is a complex game. So that is my number 24, War of the Ring. Uh, my number 23 is a uh, is a legendary game. Um, it's Legendary Encounters, an alien deck building game. I I have I played Predator, I played Marvel, I played James Bond, I played X Files, I played Firefly. Um, I think Buffy has one, but I have not played that one. And those are okay, but I am I am I am a huge huge Alien franchise fan. Aliens, uh, Aliens, the second movie is uh, one of my favorite movies of all time. Um, I was telling Mike before the podcast. Had I played Nemesis more than once or twice, uh, well, twice, had I played it more than twice, like, it probably would be pretty high on my list. Um, I just haven't played it enough because I, I just, I mean, it's one of the reasons I love Space Hulk, Space Hulk Death, uh, Death Angel. Um, I, I just love the Alien franchise. This game thematically plays through all, well, plays through the four, the four Alien movies, Alien, Aliens, Alien 3, uh, Resurrection, and, uh, and then Alien, or Alien 3, and then Alien 4, Resurrection. And then it also plays through um, Prometheus. No, not Prometheus. What's the other one? Uh, the one after Prometheus, because neither one of the, the prequels are very good. But anyway, so there's an expansion where you can play through uh, 
crap. Now it's going to bug the crap out of me. I can't remember the name of that movie. Um, I'm going to... What is Prometheus? Mike, do you know? I haven't watched any of them, no. You, what the crap is wrong with you? Uh, Prometheus. What is the... See, now, now, now I'm taking up all this time on the podcast... Googling something that I should already know. Um, Alien Covenant. Sorry, Alien Covenant. Which, by the way, Prometheus and Alien Covenant aren't great. But, um, anyway. uh, Alien Legendary. This plays through all all the first... All the Alien movies and then Alien Covenant movie. Very thematically. Like, uh, you know, like... You're looking for the colonists and aliens. And then you're setting up your machine gun nest. And then you have to kill the queen. And in the in the first movie, you have to investigate the beacon, right? Um, like, like, and eventually you have to shove the alien out the the airlock. Like this 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 game does such a good job of just making you feel like you're in that movie if you've watched the movies because you know what's going on. Like thematically, this game just knocks it out of the park. Um, I think I think it just does amazing things. I do think that if you're not an alien fan or never watched the movies, you're like, eh. Um, but I think, like, if you're an Alien fan, like, this game, um, this game is just, like, it, it just does it so well. And it's a card game, and it plays pretty fast. Um, and I, I've died plenty of times playing this game as well. But that's my number 23, Legendary Encounters, an Alien deck building game. My number 23 is, I guess, the fourth um, two-player, you know, dudes on a map game in a row for me. Uh, this is the... I think the best one um, that I know of for, for a two-player dudes on a map game uh, that isn't really long, because again, I do have one more coming up that's very long. Uh, this one plays in 90 minutes. It's from Platt Games. It's a game nobody talks about. Um, but this one is Bioshock Infinite Siege of Columbia by Isaac Vega. I mentioned Isaac Vega earlier, uh, you know, on, on a previous list, and I really like Isaac's games. I think, you know, I've got another... Uh, one I think coming up here but yeah you know I, I really like his design um, and this one is no exception it's fair it's a little bit asymmetrical but like not extremely so uh, but just enough to make it you know just to add that little extra bit of interest um, you essentially on your it, it's pretty simple you know you're drawing your hand of five cards and the cards you can play to get money um, or you can, you know, you're going to be moving your units around and trying to control locations and fighting. And you can also use these cards in combat, right? Just it's exactly what I mentioned for the last three games where combat is you play a card and you roll dice, right? Um, Part of what's cool is that you've got like this upgrade sheet that you can upgrade the stats on your cards. You can make it so that normally when I discard this card, I would only get, three like i would get three gold but now i'm going to get four or even five and you can upgrade that or you can upgrade the attack stat of the card or, or you can upgrade um you can unlock like a special ability for the card too which is really cool you know so now in combat if i play this card then i get to do not only does it contribute its attack bonus but it also triggers a special ability and then you um that part of combat is like deterministic and then you also you know, you look at your units and depending on what level they are, you to, you take um, and how many of each one you have, you take 
those dice and the dice are different uh, based on like the level of units and um, they're different colors, which makes it really easy. You just grab the correct colored dice that you need and you roll them and that's how combat works, right? You're fighting and um, it plays fast, which I really like. It is just constantly engaging. Um, I think this one is fantastic. I think it's completely slept on and uh, really deserves more love. I, I'm sure it's out of print, um, because again, this is an older game. This was one of their like pre Asmodee uh, purchase games, right? So like Asmodee purchased Plat Hat in I don't know mid 2010s. So this one came out in probably probably like 2013, 2014ish. Um, so and, and even if you're not a fan of the Bioshock video game series, like I have not played a single one of those video games, and I still think the game is just rock solid. Like I think this is just the best two player dudes on a map game that I've played and I've played a lot of them. So uh, this is my number 23 Bioshock infinite, the siege of Columbia. Yeah. I remember this came out for plaid hat, but I had never played the video game. So I, I didn't pay any attention to it. So um... yeah, it's one of those ones where I, maybe if you like the video game, it's even better. I don't know. Like, I, mm. you know, I, I have no interest in the video game series. I think it's a, just like a first person shooter type deal or something. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, I don't know. I've never, I never played it, so I, I, I never, like, like I think there's like, a, there's like a Fallout game too, and like I never played the games, the the video games. So I never, but, but I say that, and I played uh, Dark, uh, Dark Souls and um, uh, uh, Gears of War, and I really like those. So, um, anyway, so my number twenty two is kind of a series of games, and because I, I was debating about whether I should include, because I own three of these games, uh, and I was trying to debate whether I should. Uh, list them individually or put them together. But like when I kept listing them individually, they just kind of all clumped together anyway. So I decided just to do them as a series. And this is the leader series by Dan Verson games or DVG. Um, I have, I own Hornet leader, Israeli air leader and Sherman leader. And uh, I mean, Hornet leader is basically the movie top gun. Um, you are flying, um, you're flying Hornets and you're flying Tomcats and uh, various other planes. And you have, you pick a mission you want to play, like you put like one of them's like the uh, the the Iraqi War. Um, like there's all these different, you know, uh, historical missions that you can play, and you you are you know you're you're building a team of uh, of jets, and on the jets you have various fighters, and your fighters as they fly their missions they get stressed, and as they get stressed, like their stats become worse. So like. So maybe you have so like a, a, if you play a long game, because um, it's a campaign game. So if you play a long game, it's like twelve weeks, and so like maybe maybe your fighter, uh, you know, he gets he gets stressed because he gets um, shot at and he he takes some damage. So his plane gets, uh, well his plane doesn't get damaged, but he gets stressed because maybe he's detecting some evasive maneuvers or whatever. So like so then you have to decide like whether you want to send him out on the next mission or if you want him to have R and R, which is rest and relaxation, which he can recover some stress. So maybe two weeks later you'll send him out. But then if you don't send him out the week before, he's not going to level up either. Cause what's cool is as the, the, the fighters start as green and they, and then they uh, level up all the way to ACE and their stats improve, whether like, like whether it's like air to air stat or air to ground stat. And um, so what you're doing, you're playing on this board and you're equipping all your, all your fighters with, you know, uh, uh, you know, Sidewinder missiles or Phoenix missiles or, uh, you know, various bombs that you're, tr you're trying to, you know, because ultimately a lot of times your target is, is to drop bombs on some sort of facility 
or sometimes it's like it's to kill enemy fighters. Um, and this is a solo game, so I think like um, this is uh, in the wargaming community. This is a big, but like I think a lot of other people are like oh solo, I'm not interested. But like it just plays so phenomenally about like every round of picking what sh- what planes you want to fly because a lot of the missions like you know like one mission is like okay, and you can even run maybe two missions in one week. But you can't take your take your plane like the same plane to both missions. So that, like you're trying and like maybe the the mission has parameters like you can only take four ships or four planes uh, to this. Um, and like and in the game they even have like Harrier units, Harrier like jets. So like if you guys remember uh, True Lies at the Harrier jet back in the 90s, um, this game is just a, a, a like a homage to like Top Gun and like uh, and Harrier jets and like it just does a really nice game doing that. And then like Israeli air leader. Like that, that works from like the six, the seven day war or six day war in, um, uh, in Israel. It starts in the forties and, and like, and what's cool in the rule book, it talks about the history of all the planes and it goes all the way up to modern day. So depending on like what year you're, you're playing depends on like what planes you can pick. And then in Sherman later, um, it's a ground combat. So like you're taking, you know, you're taking priests and Shermans and half tracks and, uh, and rocket teams and, and machine gun teams. And um, and then each you assign a commander to each one of those, and your commander, much like the pilots in Hornet Leader and Israeli Leader, um, th- they get leveled up and they get they get various bonuses depending on what's going on. They get stressed and maybe they have to sit out, or maybe one will die and you have to sign a new one. And, and they have like uh, there's there's a U-boat leader which is about submarines. There's an there's a, a Thunderbolt Apache which is about uh, the the uh, um, uh, choppers. So like. This is a phenomenal series that DVG does. There's a Tiger Leader, which is about, like, it's from the Germans' perspective for ground combat. Um, there's a Phantom Leader, which is about uh, Vietnam. There's a Corsair Leader, which is about uh, World War II. And there's a Zero Leader, which is World War II, but from the Japanese perspective. So, like, there's all these different types of leader games by DVG, depending, like, where your preferences lay. And they all they all do a phenomenal job of just making all these different tactical decisions about like, you know, first of all, like what planes do you want to bring on your mission? Because some planes are better than like Hornets are probably better than Tomcats. Um, like and then like what missiles do you want to bring? Because because some missiles like uh, uh, you have to pay more for than other missiles because you get these special operation points. And um, just all these things. And, and then as you're playing, you're going to draw cards and it might like say, oh, weather's bad. You know, so like so maybe something's it's harder to kill ground units this round. So uh, I could talk on and on about the leader series um, by DVG Danverson Games. Um, I really like Hornet leaders, my favorite um, out of the three. I own like Hornet, then Israeli, then Sherman. But they were all kind of like in the in the mid the mid 20s when i was rating these games i rated them together so i I just decided to stack them all together but if you're looking for a a can a solo campaign war game uh check out the leader series uh by danverson games um they are a little pricey um so i think they're like between like 60 to 70 bucks for uh, a brand new one but but it's you'll like if you're in a solo war gaming, like this is, it's a phenomenal game and that's a phenomenal series. I should say, and that's my number 22, the leader series by Dan versus games. All right. My number 22 is a small two player game. I mentioned Hanami Koji earlier. Um, this one, I like a little more. My dad and I play it constantly whenever we're 
you know, out vacationing anywhere. So this is like a great hotel room game. Um, and this one is The Fox in the Forest by it's actually from Renegade Games, which is pretty cool. Um, something I didn't realize until I was just looking at my collection again the other day. Um, this is just a two player trick taking game. So, you, you know, there's there's a deck of 33 cards. There's three different suits, 11 of each card, the numbers go from one to 11 in each of the uh, three suits. So you deal each player, uh, I think it's, yeah, 13 cards. And then um, there's a deck of seven. You, you flip the top one over and that is Trump suit. But what's really cool about this one, you know, and so what you're trying to do is you're trying to win tricks, but you're not trying to win too many, uh, you know, across that hand. Um, all, you, all you do on your turn is like essentially whoever starts leads right so I, I play a card and then my opponent has to play a card of the same suit if they can um and whoever played the higher card wins that trick and and you take those two cards and you you put it face out in front of you the goal is to win enough but not too many of these tricks so if you win seven or like seven to nine of these seven to ten of these tricks rather i think seven to nine seven to ten something like that um then you will score six points for that round. And you're trying to be the first to 21. But if you score more than 10, uh, so if you score 11 to 13, then you score zero points. You bust. Um, if you score less than seven, like let's say you score six, you only get like three points. Five, you only get two points. Four, you only get one point. But then if you sc- if you win zero to three tricks, then you score six points. So because, again, that's the that's kind of the inverse of the uh, 11 to 13 range up top. So it's pretty interesting on how you want to sequence your cards. And what really makes it interesting is just a very simple twist on it in that all of the odd numbered cards have a special ability. So the seven, if you win a trick and, and you get that seven, you just automatically get a victory point. So it's extremely powerful. The nine is wild. Um, the nine, basically, if it's the only nine being played at, at a, in, in a single trick, then the nine automatically counts as trump. Um, the 11 forces the opponent to play their highest card or uh, of that uh, of that suit or their one of that suit. Um, the one, if you like whoever plays the one uh, is basically automatically going to lose and then they they get to lead. Instead of, you know, normally it's whoever wins that trick leads. The five lets you draw a card from the the remaining six, you know, because that'll be a little deck of six cards. You get to draw a card from that deck and then you discard a card, right? So it lets you filter your hand a little bit. Again, very strong. And then my favorite is the three. The three lets you take a card from your hand when you play it. And uh, so, like, you play the three, you take a different card from your hand, and you swap that card out with the trump card. So you can just mid-trick change what the trump is, and you can really play around. If if you have a couple of these threes, you can really play around, and you have this incredibly strong ability if you play it right. But it's really hard to do and take some setup and take some forethought on, like, how you want to sequence your cards and when are you going to make sure you win a trick or are you going to just keep trying to lose tricks um, to be able to sequence it right? So really great two-player game. Uh, again, this this is my favorite like filler level two-player game. I think it just packs so much interest, you know, interest and depth. And again, as much as I like the games like Onitama and War Chest and um, these other like Yinch and Devon even, as much as I like those ones, 
I, I still think Fox in the Forest is the best of, of the whole bunch. So that is my number 22, The Fox in the Forest. All right. My number 21, I think, is crossover count number nine, I think, Mike, is where we're at. Um, and that is Thunderstone. Um, I have I, I, I don't have Thunderstone Quest. I have Thunderstone and uh, Th- Thunderstone Second Edition. Um, Thunderstone is a, is a deck builder game, um, but there's a there's a dungeon crawl aspect to it where you can either go to town or uh, the village they call it, or you can go try and fight um, go and try and fight in the dungeon. And you need you know you can equip your hero with various equipment before you go in the dungeon, and there's various types of heroes. And your heroes can level up as they go in the dungeon deep. Uh, you know, as you get experience points, you level them up. And there's also a, like a tower defense uh, way to play where like the dungeon's attacking the town and you can work together um, to do that. So um, you can play cooperatively or competitively. I enjoy both versions. Um, Mike mentioned Epic, Epic Thunderstone, which is very cool, where you just stack like all the weapons together and then whatever the top weapon is, that's what you can buy. As opposed to like, well... There's, four, there's, you know, we have a spear, a sword, and a bow. Uh, this one, you just tap, uh, st- stack them all together. I enjoy that as well. Um, Thunderstone, uh, it, it, it's probably one of our... Uh, I think it's probably the, is it my number one deck builder. I think it's my... I don't want to say for sure, but just a quick look. I think it's my number one deck, deck builder. Um it's a lot of fun. If you if you enjoy deck builders, you enjoy like the fantasy dungeon crawl theme. I would encourage you to do, uh, get this, and that's my number twenty one, Thunderstone. I believe that was crossover number ten. So um, that's pretty good, like ten percent of our list already. Number ten. Okay, I think I missed the word, but that's all right. We'll 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 write it down later. Sure. All right, my number twenty one is a. Like a dudes on the map game, but it's a pretty interesting and pretty different one. Um, this one is Inish. Uh, this one is from Matago Games. They did a tri- like sort of a trilogy, but they're very different games uh, in Kemet, in uh, Cyclades, and then in Inish, which was the third one. Again, they're all like completely different. The only common theme across them is that they're mythological. I haven't played Cyclades. I played Kemet once and thought it was okay. Didn't love it. Um, didn't hate it, but didn't love it. And then I've played Inish a lot, and I really like Inish. It plays apparently well from two to four. I've only played with three and four, and it does play very well with both three and four, which is great. Um, It's a dudes on the map game that plays in like 45 minutes, which is crazy fast for, you know, I would say like a lot of my dudes on the map games are more like 90 minutes. Um, This one is more in that 45 minutes to an hour range, which is just phenomenal. Uh, This one, there's no dice. The combat is very deterministic and kind of wonky. And and honestly, just winning in this game is very wonky because um, like essentially it starts and there's a very small map with these really cool pieces and you're going to be exploring and, and building out this map and such. And there are three different ways to win. So like one way you win is by having at least one one figure or as it's called one clan in each of up uh, in each of at least six different uh, territories. Another way you win is by lording over six enemy clans. And the way you lord over is if you have more, if I have more clans in a territory than you do, I am lording over those clans. So if I've got, you know, 
five clans in a territory and, you, and Ken has four and my dad has two, then I'm lording over six clans in that territory. So that's also a win condition. And then the third one is by being present in, uh, by having presence in territories with at least six sanctuaries, which are these like buildings that get built. Um, and the way it works though, is it takes place over, you know, rounds and it's like, kind of an uno mechanic almost in the sense that you have to declare that you're going to like like once you reach that victory condition you declare it and then you only actually win at the end of the round so there's always some room for some counterplay for you know somebody to screw it up for you um the way it works is that you there's a number of cards it's, it's four per player basically that get used in this draft so there will be 12 cards uh for example in well there's 13 cards because there's one extra that's that like there's 13 cards, let's say, for a three-player game, right? So we deal out four to each of the three players. The one extra goes to the side. And you draft these cards, um, you know, passing them around the table. And then these cards are how you do everything in the game, right? By moving, by attacking, by, um, you know, exploring more territories, building sanctuaries, uh, drawing these epic tail cards, which are very strong. These, you know, this other type of cards that you just get to keep in your hand. There's also like these territory cards that go with the different territories. So each territory is unique and gives you a different like bonus and benefit for being the like for being the person with the most clans in that territory, um, which is really cool, right? Because then every game is different with all these different territories. And, you know, how you play the game is just going to be kind of different every time. So I really like this one. Again, it's a little bit of a weird one um, in the sense that victory conditions are so different than they are in like other games. Um, but I, I, you know, I think this one is just is just phenomenal. So that's my number 21 inish. I have played Cyclades, Cyclades or Cyclades, however you say it, but I have not played inish. Um I don't know how similar they are, but not similar at all. Perfect. Same, same with, same with Kemet. Again, like all three, I mean, they're, they're all by different designers and they're all like completely like, you know, for those that don't know, so Kemet is Egyptian themed, uh, Cyclades or Cyclades or whatever is, um, what is it? Greek? Yeah. Right? Greek mythology. Yeah. And then Inish is like Celtic. Um, oh, but okay. so they're all from Matago and, uh, which, you know, Matago games and that's, to my knowledge, the only unifying like feature of the games. Well, aren't they all dudes on maps games though? They are. I don't think any of the mechanics are the same though. Okay, got it. Like like Inish is all about the draft on those cards, and like the the victory conditions are like again those those three very specific things, um, which is just very unique and different than like every other uh, dudes on a map game on the market. Sure. Yeah. So it's definitely, it's like, it's, it's like, and also I played Kemet and like Kemet was like, I played it, I think five player and it took like three hours. Whereas like Inish is like 45 minutes to an hour. Mm. Even at five players. Uh, I haven't played it at five. I've played it a lot with three and with three, it's routinely like 45 minutes. And then with four, it's about an hour. So I I haven't played the expansion adds the ability to play five, I think. Um, but I actually haven't played with it yet. Okay, cool. All right. Uh, my number 20 is, uh, I've talked about various forms of magic, the gathering and my number 20, I think is the best form of magic, the gathering that is mage wars. Uh, um, it was just Mage Wars years ago when I when I bought it, and then they came out with the Mage Wars Academy, which 
is garbage. So uh, in Mage Wars Arena, uh, you have a four by three board where um, you're moving your mage, um, and you can also summon units to the board. So you're tactically moving the units. And, and what's very what's so cool about this game is, um, you you pick up the mages are like trained in various uh, stages of magic. Like um, one, maybe one's trained in uh, in war magic, another one's trained in like fire magic. So like when they so when you're building your deck at the beginning of the game, you you build an actual spell book like a book with spells in it, and you put in you put in these spells, and you get a certain number of points to build your deck. So like if you're the fire mage, if you're trained in the school of fire, like all your fire spells just cost norm cost the normal amount, but like your water spells will cost three times the amount. So if you want to put a water spell in your deck, you can. But you're paying three times the amount because, like, it's not—it's the opposite of the school of magic you're trained in. So you can build your deck however you want. Like, if you're a if you're a demon mage, you can put in some heal spells because because you also might be trying to catch your opponent off guard by having some heal spells included in your book. But like, you, you're gonna have to pay triple the cost for those. Um, and what's so cool about this game is on your turn, you're gonna look through your whole book that you just built your whole deck essentially and pick whatever two spells you want to cast. Um, now there's very, I mean, obviously you have to have enough mana to cast these. Um, there's various ways to like increase your, your, your mana every turn. There's various, you know, there's very like you can, there's, there's buildings you can summon. There's equipment you can summon. There's spawn points you can summon that help you summon creatures. Like this game has it all. Like if you're looking for like a, like a, a straight up, Mage versus mage battle, where these mages are these super powerful beings that can just summon things and fight for them. Um, this is the game for you. This is uh, this is Arcane Wonders, I believe. Um, yeah, Arcane Wonders. And this is uh, this this is like the the negative for this game for me is that it's long. It's it's you know Magic the Gathering is probably fifteen to twenty minutes. Um, unless you're playing commander or something, this is probably 90 minutes of is your typical game. Um, but like this, like this is the perfect for me, magic, the gathering type summon units, uh, you know, pay mana, summon units, fight each other uh, game. There's also dice in this game, which I think helps uh, is super helpful for me because um, I do like dice. Um, but this is my number. My number 20 in it's Mage Wars Arena. Yeah, good game. Didn't make my list. Um, probably for what you mentioned, the 90-minute time length is a little rough. Um, and also, like, it's at the... It, it's more complex than, like, a Magic 2. There's a lot of keywords and such. But, yeah, it, it's a good one for sure. I, I, I really enjoyed uh, playing it back in college. So one of, my, one of my friends and I used to play it. So it is... Yeah, it's definitely a good one. Um... My number 20 is the first of a different mythological trilogy, and I have all three on my list, but spoiler alert, um, this is the only one that's uh, that I'll be discussing tonight, and this is Auk, Gods of Egypt, by Eric Lang and from Simon. Um, from those that, for those that don't know, Eric Lang is my favorite game designer, and you're going to really see that in my top 10. Uh, this is... Uh, you know, the, the whole series Blood Rage, Rising Sun, and Ankh, I think, are brilliant. Um, this one is this low, probably only because I've I've only played it, like, three or four times. Half those plays were at two, 
And I don't think it's a good two-player game, even though like a lot of people, including some high-profile reviewers, have said that they think it's best with two. Um, I think they're out of their minds. Um, <laughs> that's that's kind of harsh. Jeez. I don't think they've played enough good two-player games in the genre if they think this one is like good at two because it's just not that interesting. It's too predictable as to what happens and like stuff like Bioshock does it a lot better. Um, there's just a number of these like Battle of Five Armies does it better. Just a lot of these other two-player dudes on map games are just better at at it. Um, but anyways, this one is really cool in that you each are a, like one of the Egyptian gods, uh, which is a theme I love. It's my favorite. Uh, mythological setting so you each choose a god and you get your god figure which has obviously some really cool special abilities and then you've got your your just like your regular warriors they start out on the map in predetermined setups based on like the scenario you pick what i love about it you know one of the things i love about this game is how fast turns are on your turn you take one or two actions and there's basically these these four action uh tracks on the board and so if you take, for example, the summon the summon figure uh, action, you take the, the token on it and slide it over one space to the right and then perform that action. It's, and it's a universal track, right? All of us are manipulating the same track. And what happens is when it when one of those tokens reaches the end, it triggers the next step on like this age track, which triggers either like an event or conflict. Um, and so you can see like you can you can plan out how this stuff is going to happen um, and, and you can kind of see in advance as to what's going to happen. And some of the things that happen are you get to like build, you know, new monuments. So there's three different types of monuments. And so this is an area control game. You're trying to control different areas in the map. And there are these monuments that are on the board. And essentially one of the ways you score victory points is by controlling, you know, different types of monuments within the same area, the same region of the board. Right. Uh, so you, you're going to be building them, you're going to be controlling them, etc. cetera. Uh, one of the other cool things about this game are there are these camels that you use to actually section off pieces of the board. So like it starts and maybe there's only three areas at the start, but then by the end there might be five or six areas because we've sectioned some of them off. So like there's player agency on how you actually draw these lines, um, which is really cool. Um, it's, it's also the only one of this trilogy to have hex-based movement. Both Rising Sun and Blood Rage are just like area movement. You move from one area to another, and there's like these big areas where you can have lots of figures. Um, in this one, it's all hex-based within these regions. And so like there are, you know, there are there are the fertile spaces along the Nile, and then there are the desert spaces, and then there are like the, the Nile Delta spaces, etc. And for combat, it's deterministic in the sense that you've got your units, which each have their strength, and then you play a card. And like what your card does is partially dependent on where your units are positioned. Are, are they next to monuments? Are they on desert spaces? Are, are they on fertile spaces, etc.? So it's like it adds back in some of that tactical movement, which I really enjoy. So um, just all the things about this, how fast your turns are, you know, and there, there's also like the most controversial thing that happens, which I actually think is really cool is the merge. Um, there are like four, I want to say conflicts in this game. And like during the, like after the third one, the bottom two players 
merge forces and their two gods merge into one, which is very like thematic and straight out of Egyptian, you know, mythology. Um, so like it's a, it's like a catch up mechanic for them almost. Um, it's a very controversial mechanic, but I think it's really cool because one of the one of the you know issues with these types of games can be that like if you fall behind, you're kind of screwed uh, for lack of a better term. It's very it can be very difficult to catch back up in a Blood Rage or a Rising Sun if you fall really far behind. Um, so I, I actually do like the merge. I think it's a really smart way to add back in, you know, some some tension and such. But um, yeah, it's a great game. I, I have to believe it'll end up in my top 10, but I just haven't played it enough for it to land there right now. So that's my number 20, Ankh, Gods of Egypt. All right. I have not played any of those three uh, dudes on the map, Eric Lane games, Mike. So I don't know if you're if we can still be friends or not, according to you. But anyway, um, my number 19 is a two player only dungeon crawl. Um, the theme is a little bit dark. I, I actually just recently played it with my son, who's 12 for the first time. And this is claustrophobia. Um, this is. This uh, I, they just rebooted this a couple of years ago on Kickstarter. I have the OG version. Um, it's got pre-painted minis, but in this game, one person plays the Legions of Hell, the other person plays the redeemed priest who who's in the who's in the catacombs trying to complete some sort of task. It's a scenario-based game, and the only people that will go with him is, is these condemned prisoners that he's basically said, "Hey, if you come with me and we complete this task, you'll be." You'll be set free. And, and uh, what I love, the the action system in this game is phenomenal. And, and it's why I love this game. Um, it is it is pretty biased towards the demon player, but that's a whole other thing. But um, in this game, for the demon player, the demon player has a demon board. And on his turn, he's going to roll two six-sided dice. And depending on what he rolls, he gets to allocate those dice to various different things he can do. Um, whether it's draw a card, whether it's lay a trap, whether it's to uh, give his demons an uh, extra bonus, or maybe his demons can his demons can't come in from uh, if uh, if there's a if there's a good guy on the board, the demons can't come in from that spot. So maybe the de- demons dug some tunnels so they can pop out uh, from somewhere in the middle of the tile. And with the way that uh, so that's kind of the way the demons work. Uh, the, are the, the dice board works for the demons. And then when they attack, they roll some dice and you compare it to your defense. The way the, um, the way the heroes work is uh, the redeemer, the redeemer and the, the, the brutes or the condemned criminals will have uh, six hit points in each, in each hit point slot. You know, uh, there's a one, two, three, four, five, six, and depending. So you're going to roll your four dice. Let's say you got a redeemer, two brutes and a blade. So you're going to roll four dice and out of those four dice, you're going to allocate those dice to each uh, each character. And maybe maybe you rolled a six, a two, a two, and a, a four. Well, maybe the Redeemer has six defense with a six, but only one movement. But with a two, he's got two movement, but only four defense. So you got to decide, do you want him to move two or six? So you got to place those dice because each character has different stats based on what die you place there. And, and a lot of times the Redeemer will have special abilities that only trigger on a specific number. So maybe he's got like the aura of courage, which which triggers on a four, or the aura or the aura of uh, precognition, which triggers on a six. So maybe you want to lean towards the six, right? And then when you take damage, 
you actually uh, you put you put a, a red peg in one of those lines. So maybe you put a red peg in the four. So now you don't want to roll a four for the you know if you roll a four, you probably don't want to put that to the redeemer because you've canceled out that line for him. So basically, if you give him a four, he doesn't really get to do anything on his turn other than defend. So the dice system is phenomenal in this game for both the demon player and the uh, the uh, the redeemer and his cronies. Um, you know, the game itself, uh, like, uh, you know, you're moving when you attack, you're rolling dice, you, you know, you're against their defense. Um, there's a there's a little bit of card play here and there. Cause you can find some cards with the good guys and the demon player can draw some cards if he picks two with his dice. But, um, that's, that, that's not super like, um, Oh, this is super cool, but this is an old game. So in 2009, it was pretty cool. Um, but, and I, I do think this does favor the demons still. But this is uh, this is a phenomenal game. So you probably can't get the OG version, but I think the new one, I think it's Claustrophobia, like 16, yeah, 43, came out in 2019. I'm, I'm sure you could probably find that one. It was on Kickstarter. But but the the dice allocation system in this game is just phenomenal. I think my biggest negative is it's only two player, and um, uh, the, the it does seem that the it does seem that the demons do win. Now I only have the base version. There's like two or three. Um, Two or three expansions, which I'm killing. I'm kicking myself for not. I, I could have got those a couple of years ago, pretty cheap, but now they're like ridiculous, a ridiculous amount of money. But so they may help the uh, the redeem player play better or uh, do what do better than against the, the the legions of hell. But I'm not sure. But that's my and and I guess the kind of a negative is the theme's kind of dark, but like the art's not like overly like horrible or anything like that. So um, that's my number nineteen claustrophobia. All right, my number 19 is my, I believe, my favorite game from Isaac Vega. And this is a dudes on the map game from Platet Games that came out about four, four, so four to five years ago, I want to say. And this is Starship Samurai. Now, the Eric Lang trilogy that I just mentioned, Ankh, Rising Sun, Blood Rage, the thing to know about those is they're kind of hybrid Ameritrash and Euro. Um, they are Ameritrash in like theme and gameplay in a lot of ways, but then they're Euro and like the, the, there's no dice, right? There's no con- there's no randomness in the combat. It's all player choices. And Starship Samurai is back into the Ameritrash camp of rolling dice for the combat. It uses, it, you know, you're probably everybody's probably sick of me saying this by now, but again, play a card and roll dice. That's like kind of the standard for Ameritrash combat nowadays in, in these dudes in a map game. Um, this one is really, it's fast, right? This is, you know, hour, hour and a half, um, which is great. It, it plays two to four. I haven't played it with two. I've actually only ever played it with three, but it plays really well with three, which is nice because a lot of these games would much rather have you play with either two or four. Um, this one you basically control a clan and then, you know, which is everybody's the same, except you've got these samurai, these like mecha samurai um, think like, you know, Gundam style and, you know, so you get a couple of these and they're very different than what your opponents have. It's space combat. You're fighting over these planets and there's these like eight clans in the background as well that you're trying to manipulate to, to, to get, you know, victory points or or resources from them. Um, Very simple, like abstracted out with a track essentially. But what's really cool is the action system where you're setting up for the combat part. You get, there are four different actions and you've got this little action board. Um, you know, one is like 
you draw X cards or in others you gain X resources and others you get to move X units or another one is you get to move a, a clan marker X spaces. And you're w probably wondering what X is. And basically you get four tokens, a one, a two, a three, and a four. And you choose like on, on if it's my turn, I go ahead. I place one of these tokens out. I do the action. And it passes to the next person on my left. They put one of their four tokens out. They do that action for that strength passes to the left, et cetera. You just go around like this four times and that's the action phase. You can reuse the same thing, right? So like I could draw four cards, then it comes back to me and then I could draw three more cards, right? If I want to use my four and my three on that, but if I'm using my four and my three on cards, then I'm not using those tokens on these other spaces. So it's really cool how this balances out and how you have to like kind of think ahead a little bit um, on like how you want to allocate these uh, things because you're always going to be left wanting to be doing more than you can. It's really a simple system, but it's super clean. Like this game is the opposite of a Battle of the Five Armies or a, or a War of the Ring or even for a Rebellion. This is just a very clean game, stripped down to its you know to bare elements, all you need, and there's there's just nothing else you could really strip away from this game. So I love it. I think it's fantastic. Um, I think it's super slept on. Again, plays in that great you know that great time frame for this this genre in my opinion which is like that 75 minutes to an hour and a half range which by the way Ankh also plays in that range which is one of the other things i really like about that one too um so that's my number 19 starship samurai all right my number 18 is um a one to six player uh game and this is a maximum apocalypse um, this is a game, a post-apocalyptic game, where you're a survivor, um, whether it's a mechanic or a construction worker or a surgeon or a fireman. There's all these different ones to choose from. Uh, there's all these different uh, apocalypses to choose from. There's robots, there's aliens, there's dinosaurs, there's uh, werewolves and vampires, there's Cthulhu, there's, uh, let's, what, what haven't, what haven't, oh, there's, um, Oh, there's a, a kaiju. There's a kaiju expansion where you can uh, fight giant monsters and get in uh, giant mechs fighting these robots. Um, this game is just uh, so it, it, each character has a deck. The deck does, uh, you know, on your turn, you'll draw a card. You get to play a card. You're going to uh, there's tiles throughout the there's tiles on the board. So it's a scenario based game. So each scenario you're trying to accomplish some goal. A lot of the times it's like, OK, go find this and blow this up or maybe find the van that you came in on and get enough gas so you can get out. So, cause at each location you're going to flip over and um, you know, maybe it's a gas station. So the gas station you can, uh, you can search and maybe you'll find some gas cans or maybe you'll find a monster hiding in the closet, or maybe you'll find some food cause you need to eat every round. Um, this, this game plays really well, whether it's uh, one to six players, I think it plays better uh, without, uh, not, not solo. So like I would say three, three plus it plays great. It's a cooperative game. Um, there's, there's so many different monsters. There's so many different um, characters you can play. Uh, there's a new, not a new version. It, there was an expansion that just came out this year, 2023, where at, where it added like a weather system and also added like a, like a, a like a clan or gang system where there's like these roaming clans or gangs where that you can like maybe attack you or maybe parlay with um, throughout the game. So it, it's just done like in, there's like a 
there's like a time traveler now too that they added from from the expansion so like this game has just continuously gotten cooler um the more things that they add to it i have i have everything for it so far there's there's a lot to it but even the base game's still super cool um but on your turn you're you know you, you draw a card uh you can do four actions whether it's move draw a card play a card um or, or do an action so like maybe you're the fireman and for an action you put your axe into play and then maybe for another action you attack with your axe um you know and at the end of the turn any monsters that you have in front of you are just going to attack you for damage so the monsters follow you around on the board but like you know your axe might be short range but maybe the military sniper his 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 uh, sniper rifle is long range so he can shoot at the monster on your your uh that's following you around so it's you know and there's nothing like you know you're fighting you're fighting werewolves and maybe then you're fighting dinosaurs and then maybe you're fighting, you know, aliens that, that uh, are trying to take over the apocalypse. So um, this game is just a lot of fun. Uh, it can be played like, you know, there's just so many different, there's just so there's so much variety to this game. Um, and, and it's, it's not too complex at all. And that's my number 18 maximum apocalypse. My number 18 is specter ops. It's a two like it plays best in my opinion with either two or three i've mainly played it with two i've also played it with four i don't like it with four and i've heard five isn't very good um this is a hidden movement game where basically one person controls the agent trying to complete these objectives within this like this secret facility or compound or whatever um the other one to two players control two hunters right so if you're playing 1v1 then the other person controls just the two hunters and if it's 1v2 then they each control one it's really not a big deal either way um i you know i actually really like it with two players specifically um the agent there's like there's in the base game there's four different ones and then you bring your agent and then you bring three pieces of equipment and each agent also has a specific like a special piece of equipment only they can bring but you keep these face down and you keep your agent card face down too until you get spotted and then until you use those equipment so the hunter doesn't know what you've picked for those right um it's hidden movement so the agent player has a pad and they're marking their movements on this pad and the hunters are moving around the board trying to find the agent. And so when the agent crosses their line of sight, they have to tell them like, oh, you last spotted me at this space. At that point, if it was the first time, they'll reveal what agent they are and then the chase is on, right? The, the hunters are trying to inflict um, usually four damage to the agent and then the agent is trying to complete three of these objectives and get back out. Um, Really simple game, um, but just super cool. You know, there's dice combat with the hunters where they're trying to damage the agent and you basically they have unlimited range kind of, but you have to roll the D6 and you have to equal or exceed the number of spaces, you know, away that the that the agent is. Um, the hunters each have special abilities, too, that are really cool. You know, there's the beast, which is just like a tracker and is just can move really fast and, and really hit hard. There's the you know, there's the prophet who can like basically see exactly where you were two turns ago. Um, the puppet can control this car. And then the expansion's really cool, too. You know, it adds like this this um, uh there's one guy that is like in a wheelchair, but he deploys these little cameras around that like can't attack, um, but 
can just he can just set up these sight lines on these roads within the facility. The expansion adds, um, you know, it, the expansion makes it so you have four or eight different agents and eight different hunters, which is really cool. It's a ton of variety, uh, just a ton of fun. The expansion also added these little extra supply cards that the agent can get um but then the agent has to tell the hunter like okay i'm using this at the start of my turn you know they don't know which one of these supply depots i use but they know i use one of them so they like now i've narrowed it down for them as to like where i can be because i can move four spaces on my turn generally right and like the equipment like maybe i use a flash uh a flashbang or maybe i uh, use a, an adrenal surge to just run really fast for this one turn. Maybe I set up a proximity mine or, you know, just all these cool different things you can do in the game. Um, really like it. I, I think it's fantastic. That's my number 18, Spectre Ops. It seems like a way better version of Nuns on the Rhine. Um, the, like the OG hidden movement game. I haven't played that one. I have played... Um, what was the really old one? Is that um, Mr. X or Search for Mr. X or something? Uh, I think, like I that's think the, the like Jack the Ripper one. Uh, is that is that Jack the Ripper? If it's the one I think you're thinking of, maybe maybe there's the one I don't know about. It's possible. I don't know. Mr. X board game. Scotland Yard. Yeah, yeah, that's Jack the Ripper, yep. Gotcha, okay. I, I played that one, and, and I definitely like Spectre Ops significantly more. Okay, yeah. We, like, it's just it's just so much cooler. Like, I mean, it's it's super thematic, right? Like, it's just so, right. it's it's so well done. Right, right, yeah. Nuns on the Run is, eh, it's for kids, but it, it's it's fun. So, yeah, this sounds like a way better version of that, so. Yeah, have you played it, or? I've played Nuns on the Run. I've never played Spectre Ops. Okay, so. yeah, I, I think I think you would like it. Yeah, hidden movement isn't my favorite, um, but yeah. So um, anyway, so my number seventeen is another chip theory game game, um, and this is Hoplomachus Remastered. Um, Hoplomachus Remastered is a gladiatorial combat game um, where once again you're uh, they're poker chips, but weighted poker chips with cool art. Uh, I I encourage you to google what it looks like but um this game uh, this game is very very well done and it can be played uh several different ways it, first of all it can be played solo or cooperative and there's two different ways to play that you can play against uh they have uh like six to eight and more uh uh titans in the box and the titans do various things uh with these um uh, uh shards on the board where you're trying to like they're trying to like control the shards and you're trying to defeat the shards and you defeat so many shards you're going to attack the titan the titan has an ai system depending on the dice you roll um it's it's, it's really well done that way or there's an immortal there's, there's one called the immortals where there's 60 immortals that just continue coming out on the, the the board where you're where you have to kill them all and just get through all 60 immortals before you can win and they can only take damage through various ways and while you're you're in the the uh, gladiatorial arena in, in this arena there's two different arenas there's crowd favor. So every time you kill something or you deal damage to something, the crowd the crowd goes wild and you ground you you gain crowd favor. As your crowd favor increases, like you get various bonuses. Maybe you get a get two tactics back that you've played, or maybe you get to unlock uh, a neutral hero because you only start with one hero um, uh, 
start with one hero in your in your squad that you built, but a lot of times you can get another hero by by having the crowd favor go up so high. You can play this one v one. You can play this one v one v one. You can play this as a free for all. You can play this as teams. Like all four of these modes are done phenomenally well, and ne- none of them feel tacked on. In in uh, in the this game just came out. Uh, well, Hoplo is an older game, but they remastered just came out this year. It's kind of like a second edition Hoplomachus, and then an expand. I just kickstarted an expansion where they're going to add a add a na- naval combat because uh, you know back in the day they used to fill the gladiatorial arena sometimes and reenact n- naval battles. Um, this game just hits on all cylinders. Um, it's a very it's a, it's a tactical uh, strategy game in my opinion. Like you have different units that do various things that have various keywords. Like you know you have an archer maybe, or maybe you have a tactician. Or you have a defender. You have a beastmaster. I love playing the Kunlun faction because their beast that they have is a rhino. That's just ridiculously cool. Um, this this game just is is a ton of fun. You can play it in 45 minutes if you're playing uh, one or two player. If you're playing three to four players, uh, those games can go longer depending on lots of different things. I, this year, I brought this to um, SkateCon, and I showed uh, Evan and my, his buddy Michael and then my nephew how to play it for the first time. I think they all enjoyed it uh, heavily. But this is this is uh, another Chip 3 game, game, so you know the components are uh, top tier. This is a Hoplomachus, specifically Hoplomachus Remastered. Um, I may or may not talk about another version of Hoplomachus later, um, but this is my number 17. Yeah, looking forward to trying this one at KenCon. All right, my number 17 is an eight-player game. Technically, I think you could play it with less, but this is a this is an eight-player game, and in my opinion, this is like the best team game ever designed. It's definitely the best 4v4 team game ever designed, and this is Captain Sonar. I also think this is the best real-time game ever designed. Um, it is just amazing fun. It is fast, you know, takes, you know, the, the, the whole game takes probably 20 minutes, 15, 20 minutes, uh, you know, the rules are maybe a little more complex and just a couple, not, not complex, but there's just a couple nuances you need to understand. And essentially there it, it's team versus team. You put up this big shield between you and each team controls a submarine and you're trying to sink the enemy submarine. You've got four different positions. So you've got your captain who is, you know, charting, uh, yelling out the, the movements of your, of your sub, right? So you've got this, this, um, uh, you've got this like dry erase board that shows this like ocean with these islands and stuff that you're trying to navigate around and trying to find the enemy submarine. And then you've got the person to their right, which is like their, I, I don't remember the name of it, but that person it basically has a, has that same board, but then has a drier, like a, like a clear piece above it. And they're listening to what the, the opposing captain is yelling out because they're, charting those same because all the captain yells is north north east south east east north etc so this the other um the, the other person on the team is trying to chart out like and figure out where they could be on this map so that you can go and sink them right you've got like a weapons master and then you've got um 
somebody whose job is to make sure that the the sub stays up and functional with uh, these systems that can that can fail basically that if, if you do too many movements in a certain direction without doing this other type of movement then maybe you know your your torpedoes overheat or whatever right so now you can't shoot torpedoes and then sometimes somebody just yells stop and then you know um we'll shoot a torpedo at this space right and then if they're at that space or next to it they take a you know if, if it's a direct hit they'll take like two damage and then if it's a if it's adjacent they take one damage right and then the race is back on and it's all real time for like charting your course and yelling out trying to figure out like where the heck they are you know so then there's lots of communication on your team trying to make sure like oh you got to go you know you got to go we, we need some some uh north to to you know get these systems back online or um you know, he, he, I think, I think he's over there. So like once, once you pin them down, now the captain is trying to, you know, re-navigate over to there. Uh, I'm definitely going to try to pick up a copy and bring it to ScapeCon next year because I think it is, you know, this is actually, I think the only game in my top 100 that I don't own. And it's just because it is for such a specific scenario where you have eight people uh, wanting to play a 4v4 team game, but man, I, I love it. I think it's, just an amazing time. Um, I've played it with gamers. I've played it with non-gamers and it goes over great. It's the type of game too, like where if I've got nine people, including myself, like I'm happy to teach and make sure it runs smoothly and just step back and watch because it is just, it's just such a, you know, it's a great game to play. It's also just a fun game to watch too. So that's my number 17, Captain Sonar. Yeah, that's a great game. That, that That's very enjoyable. Uh, with the right, with the right, uh with the with the right crew i guess um anyway my number 16 is uh is a tiny epic game and this is uh and it's pretty high up here um and this is tiny epic dungeons it's it's yet another dungeon crawl um this is a dungeon crawl in a tiny epic box which still blows my mind they did such a great job. Uh, they even have minis for the for the heroes, and there's uh, meeples for the enemies, like, the, and they still fit it in that small box. This this feels like a dungeon crawl when you play it. Um, like you don't feel like you're being shafted by like compo- like you know components or like oh, you know like you're not using standees. Like th- like they just did a phenomenal job. For such and like I think it's under thirty bucks. Like generally, like this is it, they just did a ridiculous lot job. Um, on your, you know, you're you're looking through the dungeon. You're trying to fight. You're trying to fight the big boss. But in order to fight the big boss, you need to find some keys. So you need to find basically uh, the number of mini bosses equal the number of players. Then you grab a number of keys to go fight the big boss. And it, um, and in this game, you know, as you, these goblins keep popping out, and as, as you kill goblins, you get to find gear or spells. And what's cool is they have like these legendary gear sets. So like the more of the same set you find, let's say you find like the cloak of the panther and the bow of the panther and the claw of the panther. So the more the more you have in the set, like the more bonuses you get to your roll. And what I also like about this game is that the dice system I think is super cool. So uh, the dice is one through six, but um, you get to pick the high roll of the dice. So let, let's say I'm making a check for uh, an intelligence check. There's only three stats. There's dex, strength, and intelligence. I'm making an intelligence check and I need a I need a seven. Well, how am I going to get a seven? What's super cool in this game is the the one and the two are pluses. So actually, the best roll you can get this in this game is a six two two because it's six plus two plus two, which equals ten. 
Um, and there's a way to manipulate the dice up and down by spending some of your uh, energy. And and they have they have spells in the like the spells, the equipment, uh, very well done. The the art on the cards is very fun. Like the characters are all different enough. You know they have different special abilities. The iconography is a little rough sometimes, but there is a uh, there's an appendix that you can download. I have it on my phone because so we play this game. We play this game all the time. Um, it plays pretty quickly. It probably it plays in probably I would say four players, maybe ninety minutes. Um, two players, you're done in 45 minutes, unless like, I don't know, you just got some super grindy thing. Every turn, after you take a turn, you're going to count down the, the turn marker. If you don't find the, the, the big boss before the turn ends, you lose. If all you guys get knocked out, you lose. Um, the two things I don't, are not my favorite in this game is you can't trade equipment. So like if I had, let's say I'm, I'm collecting the Panther equipment because I'm a dex-based character, which I wouldn't be. I'd be a melee-based character. Uh, and Mike's like an uh, intelligence-based character looking for uh, intelligence stuff. Even though like maybe Mike has a two for dex and maybe he found this sweet crossbow, he could easily equip the crossbow and still like cast spells uh, with this character. So, um, but in order for Mike to get something I want, I actually have to discard it. And then, like, next time Mike kills a, kills an enemy, he can actually pick it up from the discard pile instead of drawing from the top of the deck. Not my favorite. Um, I wish they would have worked in a system for trading. And the other thing is, like, every time you beat a mini boss or uh, there's these little, like, uh, seals that come out on come out on the board. In order to kill the big boss, you actually, he has to actually, like, he's sealed to the dungeon. So he actually has to, like, cross one of the seals. So you can uh, do all the damage you need to do to him. So like you have a taunt mechanic where you can like taunt the boss and come towards you. It's a little weird. It's not my favorite. Um, I don't hate it. But what's also cool is like the boss has like its own little boss room. And the further you go into the boss room, like the more bonuses you get to your attacks and stuff. But it's also harder to get out. And then you have to get out at some point to go get those seals. And I think that's why they did it. But like I would have been just as happy if they didn't give you bonuses in the boss room. I don't know. But um, th- if you're looking for a fast dungeon crawl in a tiny box, like you can, this this will fit anyway. This will fit in your pocket probably. Um, it's it's so small and it's done so well. And that's my number sixteen tiny epic dungeon. My number sixteen is a game by Tom Vassell of the Dice Tower, and this is nothing personal. Um, I believe he co-designed it with somebody else. This is a bit of an older game. I know the second edition came out uh, fairly recently. I I bet it improved the game, but I honestly don't know. And I'm very happy with the first edition. The component quality is insane. Uh, It's very good. Really nice cardboard uh, pieces. And then you've got these cardboard chits as well that are really thick and, you know, just very nice quality. Um, A couple metal pieces as well. Uh, great you know just just a great production and this is a gangster themed game where everybody you know each player controls a family and then you've got these gangsters out on the board and so you've got your capo and you've got your underboss you've got your you know um bean counter you got all the all the classic you know gangster um sort of stereotypical but all your all your you know gangster positions you know your mafia positions and um you essentially at the start of the game, you deal out one gangster into each of these, probably about 10 or so spots, I want to say, on the board. Um, the different gangsters are different. Um, you know, each each of the cards are is, is unique, which is really cool. And then essentially what the players are going to be doing is 
placing these influence counters to try to, you know, control these gangsters and get them to do what they want. Then what happens is after we've placed out these influence counter going back and forth, you know, vying for control of these gangsters, we start from the top down, right, starting with the capo and, and working our way down the hierarchy and um, getting our like money for controlling them. And then in reverse order, we, uh, you know, whoever controls the number 10, let's say, chooses one action to perform with that gangster, right? And so each spot has a different action, and then each gangster card has a different action. So right there, you always have a choice between at least two actions. And then you can always also try to make a move with that gangster, right? Take that gangster and, and try to, you know, try to uh, make a move on one of these other gangsters that's higher higher up on the chain than them. Um, it's a brutal game. It is mean uh it is you know it is not a family game it is about the opposite of a family game honestly but man do i love it i think it's just phenomenal you know even at the end of the round if a gangster has 10 you know in a four-player game i think it's if if that gangster has 10 or more influence counters on it the feds catch him and lock him up right and then any gangster that were whacked and are sleeping with the fishes um you know, you're going to then slide up all the cards up that hierarchy and then you're going to deal out new ones. Right. So it's just just a ton of fun. It takes place over five rounds. It's not like super long. It's probably like 90 minutes to two hours for a four player game. But man, is it worth it? So that's my number 16. If you want a gangster like mafia themed game, you know, I, I, I've played Eric Lang's um godfather corleone's empire which is very much a worker placement game a euro game it doesn't really feel that much like a gangster game this one is you know this one doesn't have any like area control or anything it's just influ it's really just all revolves around influencing these gangsters you know there's quite a few mean cards and stuff but like if you want that that mafia theme like to me this is the best one at least of the ones i've played so that's my number 16 nothing personal All right, my number 15 is a, another Dan Versen Games game, and this is the Warfighter series. Um, I own I own Warfighter Modern and Warfighter Fantasy. I played Warfighter World War II, and I, I love it. But in uh, War, this is a card game. In Warfighter, um, this is a solo game, though you can play with you can play with more players. Um, you know, you pick a you pick a country, whether, I mean, you can even like, whether it's Canada or Poland or whatever, like, and you can even combine, like you can have America and Canada fighting together and you, and you pick like, you pick an enemy, whether it's like the drug cartel or, or, or Middle Eastern or Eastern European or Korea or China, and you pick like an objective to do. So I have to go blow up a bridge in China. I have seven, you know, my timer set at 15 and I have it's six locations away and then, then you build your you build you build your team, um, you know, uh, you you have like maybe you have a guy that likes that uses a shotgun, maybe a guy with a sniper rifle, and then you can also uh, like kind of like and um, the leader series you can equip the character. So like maybe you give this guy the ability to get plus one when he attacks, um, or maybe he moves faster through the jungle or whatever. So you're giving him there's various ways to build out the each character because you get a number of resource points based on like your objective that you're picking. Um, so, and, and this can actually be played as a campaign as well, but I think the one-offs do a phenomenal job. And um, so on your turn, you're going to, you're going to, you, you have a, you have a hand of cards 
because uh, you have player, there's player soldiers, there's non-player soldiers, there's squad soldiers. So the player soldiers you can equip. The non-player soldiers already come with equipment, and the squad soldiers don't have any equipment. But these cards allow you to do various things, like maybe adds three to your movement, because you're going to be moving through these locations, because as you draw location cards, you have to play them. When you play them, it spawns enemies. You have to try and shoot those enemies. And the system for attacking is pretty cool, so the enemies have cover uh, and hit. So, like, you have to roll a D6 to see if you break their cover. Then, you, then like, let's say you're rolling a, a, a carbine, an M4 carbine or something, and maybe you hit at range zero, you hit at a seven. It's a 10-sided it's a dice. Uh, and at range one, you hit it, hit an eight. So if you defeat their cover and you hit, you get to put a KIA killed in action. If you only do one of them, you actually get to put a, a suppression token down on top of them. So the next turn, you know, basically they ducked for cover. So their next turn, they're actually just standing up so they don't really attack you. But it's a phenomenal system, uh, whether like World War II is your jam, uh, whether like modern day is your jam, whether Warfighter Fantasy is your jam. Um, There's like a Shadow War where it's all about stealth. There is a private military contractor one where like you hire guys to like join the uh, to fight for you one where like you get money for completing missions and like you have to do payroll and all that stuff. That's way too much for me. I'm not interested in that extra step, but. Um, this, like, if, if you like war games, this is a war card game. It's, it's done phenomenally well. Um, there's like 18 different world, world war two ones. There's like North, North Africa, there's the Pacific, um, there's the Italian front, I think. So like, it, it, it's just done really, like, there's even like, there's even a, a Nazi zombie one. That's pretty cool. And like, I, I have a, a canine expansion where you can bring canines that are like, like looking for explosives and stuff. Um, but this is a card game, and it's done super well. Um, and this is my number fifteen uh, warfighter. All right, for my number fifteen, I mentioned a while back um, when I first started talking about Star Wars Rebellion that there were three epic games, like really big, long, complex games, and that two of them were for from Corey Kanezka and Fantasy Flight Games. And this is my favorite of these big you know really epic dudes on a map games and this is forbidden stars now i feel kind of bad putting putting this on this list because it's been out of print for probably nine or eight or nine years because it is a warhammer universe game and you know as i mentioned on a previous list um this this one came out in like 2014 and then shortly thereafter fantasy flight games and uh games workshop stopped collaborating which led to the death of like several like probably three to four fantasy flight games including like a living card game and like several games that should have gotten expansions um, or more expansions than didn't and this is like the prime example of this this game was primed for an expansion or two um, just adding more factions because in this game there are four different factions to pick from each one is asymmetric and different um they are your standard Warhammer factions of like, I don't know, Space Marines and Orcs and um, the Chaos People or whatever. I, I'm, I'm not a Warhammer fan, if you can't tell, but the, the game design is just phenomenal. It's dudes on a map um, in space. It, there are planets and systems very kind of similar to Rebellion. This was uh, this one came out before Rebellion. There are there's dice combat, but again, you play a card too, which I love. Uh, and again, that's just the standard for these types of games. If they're not going full on uh, Euro or just full on Euro, actually, like very few of these games come out nowadays that have just full Ameritrash combat. Um, 
what I love about this one is that you've got these and what makes it so unique and why I think this one is the best is because you've got these system tiles and each system tile has four. They're like two by two grids. So there's four different spaces that are each space is either going to be a planet or like a void space that you can fly through. Uh, but you have to create like these supply line of ships. Um, essentially, there are these flags as well. And, you know, your goal is like it, it plays really well for two plays really well for three. I've heard it's not great for four, but essentially you're trying to capture your opponent's uh, flags. If, if you're playing two player, you got to capture, I think, both of them. If you're playing three player, you need to capture just one uh, flag from each of your two opponents. Um, and essentially you, you have these order tokens and they're these really, uh, you know, you, you've got like there, I think there's four different orders in the game. It's been a little while since I played it. And then there's two copies of each, right? So you got eight of these order tokens. You're going to put these out and it goes in like in turn order clockwise around the table. So like I start and I put one turn order face down on this system. That means I get to perform this order with this system. Maybe that's moving, maybe that's attacking, maybe that's using the the planets in the system to produce resources, you know, which I'm going to be able to use to then deploy units. You know, maybe I'm deploying units, etc. Um and so I place one of these tokens out face down and then it goes to the person on my left and they place one of their tokens face down, etc. Now, what's going to happen is, you know, I'm not going to be the only one wanting to perform actions in this system. And maybe I don't want to only perform one action in this system. So any order. So if I place one here and then you place one there, yours goes on top of mine and we finish out the placing stage. And then we take turns using an order token, but it always has to be an order token at the top of a stack. So the order tokens stack up. So the order you place them, is really important and making sure that you don't get blocked from doing something in a system like like if i if i stack let's say three in a system and my opponent places one on top of me and then there's a crucial battle happening in that next in in the system adjacent to the system where i got blocked i could be completely hosed because i wasn't able to like you know uh, build more units there and deploy them into this adjacent system to then, you know, win this battle. So you have to be really careful and really thoughtful with how you place these order tokens out. It's such a cool system that really hasn't been used um, in really many other games, if any. Um, I've, I've seen some closer, like some somewhat, you know, like variations on it, but nothing, nothing like this. So for all those reasons, you know, I, I just think this is the best of these big epic games from a game design perspective, even if it's like and that's despite the fact that of these three, I like I have a ton of connection to Lord of the Rings. It's my favorite universe. Um, those are my favorite movies. And then like Star Wars, a lot of connection there. Like I grew up watching Star Wars, obviously. Um, and then. Warhammer, I have zero connection to, but I still think like this is by far, hands down, the best in this genre. So that's going to be my number 15, Forbidden Stars. All right. My number 14 is a it's an RPG light game, and there's been um, four volumes of this. There's a fifth one coming out, and this is called Explore It. Um, the, the first one's Valley of the Dead King. The second one's the Forest of Adramon. The third, third one's the Sands of Shurox. And the fourth one is the Debane of Mira Noctis. And I would, if, if you are going to buy one, I would definitely try Forest 
I mean, uh, uh, Valley of the Dead King first. Um, they kind of get more fancy as the further you go down the line and um, get a little bit longer. Like the first one can be probably be played in about two hours. But this is this is a, an RPG light adventure game where your character is leveling up. You're you're running around the map, um, like in the in the Valley of the Dead King. This lich this lich has come out and he's uh, corrupting these towns, and you need to kill him before he corrupts all the or all the cities on the map. And there's various mini bosses you can fight. There's various there's various like uh, tasks you can do to level up. And as you level up, you ha- uh, you have an attack stat, a defense stat, and then two basically like special ability stats and they're going to level up and based on how they level up, you have different abilities because in this game, there's probably about 75 different uh, uh, placards you can choose from in terms of like uh, roles you can play. Um, and then there's probably another 75 different classes you can play. Then your class goes with, goes with your role. And then the, then if you go further into the game, there's like aspects you can add to it. Then there's like, um, so, so there's greater aspects you can add. So, so you're you're customizing this character. So maybe I'm a I'm a I'm a giant bear guardian, or maybe I'm a uh, tree folk uh, flower mancer, or maybe I'm a, a, an elf rabble rouser. Um, and this this is a this is a placard with a with a a, a dry dry erase marker because your stats are continually leveling up and you're continuing like using gold to buy stuff and on your turn you're moving around this map you're rolling dice to see like see if you find anything because you have to eat on your turn maybe you find some gold uh, maybe you find a dwarf that wants to join your party and you have to escort him somewhere but there's there's also this uh, this uh, these wargs trying to chase them down so you gotta try, try and stay one he- one step ahead of the wargs until you're strong enough to fight the wargs um, this game has so many cool combinations um uh, like a forest of Adramon, like there's this mage trying to mind wipe slowly, slowly the forest. And you like, there's these ancient relic weapons that you can find pieces up for to put it together. And the shands of sands of Shurax, you're in this desert with like four, like uh, four major cities that you can like take caravans to. And in the cities you can do like various other things. And then the the domain of Maranoctis, there's like this vampire overlord who's trying to like slowly collect blood from these blood collectors that you got to go and try and kill as they come into these towns. And then there's all these, all these uh, dungeons you can, the, the, like these caverns you can explore too, to like level up very quickly. Um, this game is, um, you can play this up to six players. You can actually play it seven players if one player plays as the bad guy. Otherwise it's a, it's a cooperative game. This game like is, it is it, just phenomenal. All the, all the different variations of, combinations of characters you can be and play is ridiculous um the 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 games are this the games are the same but very very different sans plays way different than uh valley of the dead king which plays way different than uh uh the domain of miranoctus which plays way different than the forest of adramon um i would recommend picking up valley of the dead king for the first one if you're looking at playing it uh, and and then kind of like see how you how you like it and go from there like I just played uh, Mira Noctis on Tuesday, and that, that took like five and a half hours um, because, like, the more they just add more and more. But like I said, the Valley of the Dead King you can play in two hours. Um, this is this this is a game by uh, 
John Jonathan uh, jo- Jonathan Mar- Mariucci. Um, he it's just a phenomenal game, and like in the the longer they like like in the in the fourth version that they came out with, they they added full art to the cards because you know they're, they're just doing so well. Like, and you can find a bunch of videos on this game. I I love this game. Uh, this is always a fun one for game night that we can break out because you know because um, there's not really a campaign now. There was a campaign book that came out with uh, called Clicks Madness. That's a whole other story, and I want to talk about that one. But I'm just talking about the the game the the game explored itself. Like I, I can't say enough positive things about this game. If you're into like the RPG light adventure game, leveling up, fighting a big boss at the end, this game does it phenomenally. And like the action selection simultaneously. So like on your turn, you're like, I'm going to cast the heal spell, but you don't have to declare who you're casting it on. Um, Cause then the boss is going to roll to see what he does. And then you resolve everything simultaneously. And it's just, it's just done so well. And, and it, it's phenomenal. I really encourage any of you guys who have never played Hexport to check it out. And that's my number 14. And yes, Mike, it will be at KenCon. Okay. Um, my number 14 is a game that will not be at KenCon, I presume. This is a two-player card game. Um, it is the game that actually got me into the hobby past HeroScape and uh, Yu-Gi-Oh! So, like, I stopped playing Yu-Gi-Oh! And then I was only playing HeroScape for a while. And then, I think in, like, sophomore year of high school, um, I was looking for, you know... I, I We were going to some events and stuff, and I was hearing about this game from Platic Games, who obviously is run by Colby Douch, um, or Truth, and he uh, created this little game back in, like, 2008 called Summoner Wars that I still really enjoy. Um, this was my number one game for a time, um, and this is just a phenomenal game. Uh, you are, you, you control Summoner, and you've got some, you know, you've got units and events in your deck, you know, you've got commons and then you've got your champions, your three like most powerful units and shuffle up your deck and you draw your starting hand and you're good to go. You've got some units that start out on the board. You're going to be building magic by taking cards from your hand and discarding them instead of using them. And then that increases the amount of magic you have, which then you spend to cast your, you know, to, to basically to play your other um, units out. It's simple. It is pretty fast, you know, like 45 minutes or so for an average game, just like HeroScape. Definitely some tactical movement. Um, you know, it, it's a cards on the, uh, you know, it's it's a it's a hybrid like card game slash like minis game kind of, you know, almost similar to Mage Wars in that respect. But the the Mage Wars zone system where there's 12 large zones is a lot different than the Summoner Wars. Um, you know, more tactical, more HeroScape style movement. Uh, not that there's like terrain or anything like that, but still, it, it's more like that in in how you have to move a lot more. Um, yeah, I, I just really love this game. In 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 the first edition, there were 40 different summoners, all play differently. You know, they're across 16 different factions, two summoners per faction, plus an alliance summoner that paired two factions together. I've heard really good things about 2.0, but I'm just not interested because I'm still happy with my 1.0 stuff and I'm not going to rebuy the whole game. Um, that's just not worth it to me. But yeah, I mean, this game is just just phenomenal. 
I would I wouldn't recommend 1.0 at this point just because I'm a I'm sure 2.0 is just like a better design and b 1.0 is out of print and very difficult to find whereas 2.0 is readily in print and there's an app so you can definitely try it and then decide whether you want to buy it um and you know if you buy it 2.0 is definitely the way to go so that's my number 14 summoner wars See, and I just think Mage Wars just does it better, so it's it's just interesting to get your perspective on that. Summer Wars is so much cleaner. Um, that's probably true. It, probably like Mage true. Wars, I would honestly really like to see like a 2.0 of that one. Like, it, I don't know. I just think so much of that game could be cleaned up. It's just too long. It's too complex. Um, whereas Summoner Wars is so fast, it's clean. You know, it's it's a lot closer to the magic than it is to like a Mage Wars. You know. Mm, I can see that. I guess. Okay, uh, my number thirteen is a game I know Mike. I think, but he's only played once. I think. Um, and this is uh, this is if, if I if I didn't have HeroScape, this would be my tabletop skirmish game that I play. And this is God Tier. Um, this is a hex, and we talked about this on our podcast before. Um, this is com- kind of compared to like a whole AOA thing with uh, back in the day with with Avalon Hill. But um, this is this is a skirmish game, hex based skirmish game where you pick champions and they have followers, um, and this game I think. I think this game, like this game, feels like it's a combat game, and it, it it obviously is. But Mike, the more I think about it, like this is a little bit of a dudes on the map game, um, because this is a little bit more about area control than it first looks like it is. Um, there's five different scenarios you can play in this game. Um, it, it's got a, it's got like a ladder pull system in terms of of how you score points. Like uh, the first round, you can only score one point. Uh, the first, second round, two points. The third round, three points. Then two, then one. So it steps up and steps down. And the first person to get five points wins. And the way it works is, if you knock out an enemy champion, you get four steps of the ladder towards towards your direction. But like it maxes out at a certain uh, point, uh, depending on like what what scenario you're playing on. If you knock out an enemy follower, you get one step. If you knock out a, a large enemy follower, because there's expansions where there's like dragons and hellhounds now, you get two steps. If you make a claim action, because you can plant your flag on these god tiers that are on the they're on the board, and only your champions can walk on the god tiers, your followers can't. Um, and if you and if your banner or your flag lasts till the end of the round, you get four extra points. And there's there's like kind of like four different factions. There's the uh, there's the maelstrom faction that gets like bonuses for killing the little the little guys. There is the red faction, which I of course can't remember the name right now, which gets a bonus for killing the champions. There's the the green faction, which of course I can't remember the name down. That gets a bonus for planting their flag. And then there's the the blue guardian faction, which gets a bonus for having their banner or their flag last till the end of the round. And this game is uh, on your turn. What's what I think is cool about this game is during the the plot phase, it's uh you you activate all your characters. Uh, one player activates all their characters one at a time. And generally during the plot phase, there's not really combat except unless you're unless you're a goblin. During the clash phase, it's the way the system works is I activate a unit, Mike activates a unit. I activate a unit, Mike activates a unit, and we go back and forth. Um, so, so there's a, there's a lot of counterplay compared to like the 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 plot phase. You often want to go first, but the clash phase you often want to go second. 
So it's a little bit about like reaction to what your opponent does. Um, and, and this is a dice. This is a dice system. It's not my favorite dice system because there's uh, two blanks. There's one double, and then uh, there's three singles. I don't love that dice system. I wish uh, I would even be happier if there's only one blank in the double, uh, and the double was only one. Um, but it's about like when you roll dice, you roll to see if you uh, roll if you see you, if you beat their armor, then you roll for damage afterwards. Uh, uh, wait, you roll to see if you beat their dodge, then you roll to see if you beat their armor for damage, how much damage you do. So uh, I, I think this game is done very, very well. I think it's it, it's a little bit. Um, it can throw people off a little bit when they're like, oh, this is a combat game. When it's not really because you kill a guy, he can just on his turn, he can just stand back up and come back. So it's really more about like controlling the field and planning your flags and keeping your opponent from uh, destroying your flags or your banners. Um, but but um, and there's all different types of units. There, there's probably 30. Well, maybe not 30, but probably 25 different um, champions in the game. And each champion comes with his own little like squad of uh, uh, followers. And these are. These aren't painted, so like I think when we were talking about them in our previous podcast, we were kind of because they were talking about AOA and them not being painted. So, um, but this is this is God tier. It's it's done very well, I think. And this is my number thirteen. And like I said, if Hero Shape didn't exist, this would be my mini uh, skirmish game that I play. Yeah, it's a cool game. I just don't like. I have so many two-player games that I just don't need another. That's like that was kind of my thing with it um all right my number 13 is a dexterity game this is my favorite dexterity game and this is flick em up uh this is cowboys versus outlaws and then uh cowboys versus indians with one of the expansions added in um you're you know you got your you, you got your dudes and you got some discs and to move you got to flick a disc uh just like in you know disc duelers and to shoot you flick a disc and that's it. You know, you can go into their buildings, there's um, obstacles, you know, you can go into buildings and get new weapons sometimes depending on like scenario or just like what I like to do is I just set up a, kind of a, a homebrew scenario, you know, just build build a town and um, one of the expansions adds horses, which are really cool. Um, you got to use these ramps to try to hit people off the horses. Um, yeah, just a ton of fun. Uh, pretty simple. Uh, you know, there's you, you can enter duels with another uh, another uh, dude on it. So yeah, it, it's it's a lot of fun. Um, this is this is just my favorite in the genre. So that's my number thirteen. Flick them up. Yeah, this this is this is a blast to play. Flick flick it up. That's a great choice, Mike. Um, I it's not on my list because I've I've only played it like I think twice. So all right. Uh, so. My number 12, so my number 9 through 12 are, like, basically a four-way tie for 9, uh, but I know Mike wouldn't let me do that. So um, this is more like, like, these are these are all so close to each other. Like, it's kind of like knights and heavy gruts, right? Like, they're also, they're just so close to each other, but knights are slightly better. Um, so this is, so this, this is kind of a four-way tie, but my number 12 um with my four-way tie for nine, my number twelve is Marvel Champions, the card game. Um, I, I I love Caleb Grace as a designer. Um, he's also a real nice guy. This this has replaced Sentinels of the Multiverse for me. You know, uh, just pick picking a 
picking a Marvel character, picking a Marvel villain to play, building a deck based off what aspect. There's four different aspects. There's protection, there's leadership, there's justice, and there's aggression. And there's actually even kind of the basic aspect. Um, each character has a special abilities and each character has like 15 cards that just play with that character. So when you're building the uh, 50 card or 40 card deck, you're actually only building 25 cards because the character already comes with 15 cards. Um, so just all the different ways you can build this. This plays great solo. This plays great cooperatively. It, it's a card game. It's got the race for the galaxy where like uh, each card, like if you're going to play a card, like I'm playing a three cost card, we'll have to just basically discard three cards to pay for it. Unless I have a card that produces more resources, which sometimes I do. Um, or sometimes like, You'll have something in play, like Nebula's ship will add or add another resource for Nebula while she's playing or whatever. Um, but you're trying to defeat the villain before they finish the scheme. Um, and then, like, you can shuffle in, uh, like, um, I, I want to say side schemes, but they're not side schemes. That's in Lord of the Rings. But um, very, like, like, like if I'm fighting Rhino, I can also shuffle in, like, a, 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 a side scheme where, like, you know, they're not side schemes or like there's a bomb scare going on too. So like, or maybe like I'm fighting, I'm fighting, um, Mr. Sinister, but I shuffled in like the, the rhino side scheme. So the rhino might pop out too. So it just does a really nice job of giving a lot of different variety. And there's, I don't know, probably 40 heroes at this point, And there's probably like 30 villains at this point that you can play with and probably like 50 different, I keep saying side schemes. I know they're not side schemes. Um, so like it, it, it just doesn't like I went to I went to Con of Heroes a couple of years back and I really enjoyed it. Like, you know, I love playing Nebula and Gamora versus uh, Thanos with the Infinity Gauntlet. That's so thematically cool. Like there's just so many thematically cool things you can do with this game. But that's my number 12 Marvel Champions, the card game. Yeah, it's a good choice. Um, my number 12 is a little filler game. It's in my opinion, the best four-player filler game, and this is No Thanks. Um, really small, really fast. Essentially, everybody gets these these chips, and there's a deck of cards that run from, like, four to 35 or something, and essentially, your goal is to have the least number of points at the end of the game. So all that happens is a card gets flipped, and then whoever starts um, either takes that card or throws a chip onto it. And at the end of the game, chips are are each minus one victory points for you. So it's good to have chips at the end if you can. Um, so let's say there's an 11 out there. I throw a chip and pass. And the person on my left, they can either take that 11 card with the chip or they can throw another chip onto it. So it just keeps going around until somebody chooses to take that card. And then um, they start. So then they flip a new card and they can either take that card or throw a chip on it and pass. Um the big caveat to watch out for is that if you have zero chips left, you're forced to just take the card. So sometimes you can get hosed. So you, you got to be really careful of that. And everybody keeps their chips hidden. So you don't know who has what left. The big kind of twist on this game, not really a twist, but just like the one, like one of the cool things is that if you have a run of cards, then you only score points for the lowest in that run, right? So if I've got the 11, the 12, and the 13, my score is 11. It's not 11 plus 12 plus 13 because that's a run. But if I had the 11 and the 13 but not the 12, that's 24 points. So you can see where that gets pretty like pretty massive when you get to the high 20s, low 30s, right? If I have the 30 and the 31 and the 33, 
I really need to find the 32 card. And the problem is some of the cards get dealt out at the start. So you don't know that every card's going to appear. And you can also like, what you can do is if I have the 29, then if the 30 appears, like, yes, I could just take it right away, but I can push it around the table a few times to, to collect chips from everybody else who don't want to get that 30 point card. But it, I don't know how many chips people have left necessarily. So you got to be careful not to screw yourself. Like, obviously, it screws them in the sense that they get stuck with that card if they have to take it and they don't have any chips, right? Because let's say you try to push it around the table three or four times. Um, but it's also screwing me because then let's say the 31 comes out. Now I can't connect like 29, 30, 31. So it's super simple. Just a lot of, you know, it, it's just really fast, really fun. Um I think it's a great filler game for four. Uh, again, I think it's the best one that I've played at least. Uh, that is my number 12, no thanks. All right, my last game for tonight. Uh, and my number my my number 9C, or number 11, depending on how you look at it, is another game by the Sadler Brothers, and this is Alter Quest. Alter Quest is a dungeon crawl, kind of is a little bit of a throwback to Hero Quest in, in some ways, um, but it, it plays it plays fairly differently. It's a cooperative game. This is one of their modular deck system games where, like, you pick the hero, you pick the you pick the scenario that you're playing, and then you pick like the boss you're playing, and you get to pick like the the bad guys you're playing against. So so you can mix and match all that as you want. This can be played as a campaign and be played as a one off. Um, and then there's also, it can also be played on a smaller board, like uh, called an encounter, which is, which I'll talk about in a minute. But um, so in this game, you know, you're, you're running through the dungeon, trying to find an altar, trying to do whatever you're, you're like, maybe you're supposed to like uh, purify some stones or maybe you're supposed to fight this big boss or maybe you're supposed to find out who who's the one stealing all the cows at nighttime, whatever you're supposed to be doing. But what's cool about this game is uh, your cards. When you play a card, you can use it for ability, and then it has like a little power-up ability at the bottom, kind of like what I talked about in Mage Knight, where like if you spend a magic, is uh, it works. But in this game, you have five altar dice that have different, uh, that have like wind, water, earth, fire, shadow, and light. And if you play a card, you can use the the bonus version at the bottom if like there's a wind in the altar dice pool. So then you roll, so you play the card. You uh, roll the roll the wind dice, and maybe it rolls a shadow. But the problem is that the bad guy uses the shadow. So then you say to like, uh, you know, it's a cooperative game. So you say to your um, your teammate, like, hey, can you use that shadow die? Yeah, yeah, I can use a shadow die with this amulet I have. Because you also have equipment in play that you can often exhaust it. Basically, any time. I mean, there's there's a couple rules to that. Like, you can't interrupt it. You can't interrupt somebody doing something. But like, you can exhaust your exhaust your sword to like maybe use a shadow to deal like one damage to an adjacent character or something, or you can wait till the monster moves adjacent to you. Um, this is a, this is a miniature heavy game. There's tons of minis. Um, there's also a campaign mode, which they did a really nice job with. Um, it, I hate to use the word legacy, but like in the campaign, you unlock some characters that you don't normally unlock unless you play through the campaign. It's not necessarily legacy, but like, so I'm not throwing away or tearing up anything, but like you're not supposed to like access to some things until you uh, until you play through the campaign um, and do that. But it also plays really well as a one-off. And then the encounters I was talking about is just a small little uh, maybe a, a a one by one by one board 
like that like you're not really going through it because the dungeon's a big old big old board like uh like hero quest um but but this is more like a, a game called street masters that they play or uh, the Sadler brothers also um make and and you're just doing like you just stay on this little board and it plays a little bit differently like there's not an altar there's not all this terrain that comes out because every time you open a room in altar quest a terrain piece comes out and based on the terrain piece like uh whatever you're trying to do in the dungeon is usually based on the terrain piece but this one is this one there's it's more set like there's there's like uh already like terrain uh drawn on the board so like you're not adding more and it just plays a lot faster so if you want to play like a quick 45 minute Alter Quest, you'd use the encounter. If you want to play it like, uh, otherwise, Alter Quest could probably be about two hours if you're playing um, through the dungeon. It, it increases a little bit per player, but but this is a great dungeon crawl. Um, it's not quite my favorite dungeon crawl. I'll talk about that next time. But this is my number eleven, uh, the final one for tonight, and that is Alter Quest. All right, for my number 11, um, this is my favorite Euro game. Um, this is by Bruno Catala from Days of Wonder from, I don't know, 2015 or so. And this one is Five Tribes. It's a very much a tactical movement game. It actually borrows the mechanic from, uh, from Moncala, the classic game. Um, basically, what you have are this, you have this grid of about, I don't know, 30, 36 tiles or whatever. And there's, you, 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 have a ton of meeples in a bag of different colors and you drop three onto each tile. And then on your turn, you choose a tile and you pick up all the meeples from that tile and you drop them along in a straight, you know, in, in a continuous path, right? You can go, you, it doesn't have to be a straight line. You know, you can go over and then up, for example, um, you drop one meeple on each tile you pass over. And then whatever tile you drop, the last meeple onto there has to be a meeple of the same color on that tile, right? Uh, it's the it's one of the only like two rules in the game with regards to how you move these meeples. Um, so you have to drop, let's say, a green onto a tile where there's at least one green meeple. You then pick up all meeples from that tile of that color, and then you perform whatever action uh, that color meeple gives you, right? So the different meeples give you different things. Um, there's some set collection and you're trying to get these different jewels and, you know, and, um, or different goods basically and trying to collect sets of them. There are these gins that you can, uh, recruit that are going to give you extra bonuses and such, um, and are also worth victory points. There are ones that are just straight victory points. There are ones that you use to trigger special abilities on gins. Um, yeah, there's just a there's just a variety. There's also the red ones, which are the assassin, which is pretty cool, where they get to like kill a different meeple, and then the strength of like the action you get to take with that meeple is also like dependent on the cult, like the number that you just picked up, right? So like, um, if it's the green one or like if it's the assassin, you can kill a meeple up to you know X spaces away, where X is the number of reds you just picked up, right? So it, it it's it works really well. Um, there's also tile action. So the other thing you do after you perform the meeple action is you you perform the tile action. And maybe that's dropping a palm tree or a palace or whatever onto it, which is going to increase the victory points of that tile. Or maybe that tile lets you buy from the market. Or maybe that tile lets you recruit a gin. You know? And so there's just a variety of different things um, that you're doing. And you're trying to – you know. and the other thing is if you ever – like when you drop a meeple onto that last tile, if if – by picking up all the meeples of that color, you clear that tile. You place one of your um, 
camels on that tile and that claims ownership and you'll score the points for that tile as well. So it's a really clean design, um, an excellent, excellent two player game. It's tactical. There's actually bidding for turn order. There's four turns in a round. So both myself and my opponent will take two turns each round. Uh, but we actually bid for the order of those using our victory point chips to bid for them, which is really cool. Um, plays in about 60 to 90 minutes for a two player game. You know, you can play it with more than two, but then it gets super chaotic because, you know, with two, what's really cool is oftentimes you get back to back turns so you can do one move and then set yourself up for another. So if you like tactical movement, this is a fantastic game. Um, yes, it's Euro E and how you actually win the game, but at, at its core, this is a tactical movement game, which is why my dad and I enjoy it so much. So, um, just a fantastic design, a fantastic two-player game. I have one of the expansions which adds uh, another color meeple, um, the purple meeples, and they add these like special like you know items that give you some other bonuses as well, and like other things you can do during the game. So, uh, just really cool stuff. Great design. Um, that is my number eleven. Five tribes. I, I, I do want to say, Mike, I almost played this game one time. But then I didn't have to, and I was thankful. I, I actually don't think you would dislike it. Like, it, it's literally just a tactical movement game. Yeah, they were like, let's play Five Tribes. And I'm like, uh, and then, like, me and somebody else went and played something else. So Well, if, if, if it was multiple people, then you actually, you know, I, again, I think this is this is a two-player-only game, in my opinion. Oh, no, it I think it was, there was, like, four of us. So. Yeah, with the problem with four is that you each take one turn per round. So like you could you could literally be first in a round and then last in the next round. And then so you went and then there were six turns in between. And oftentimes like these turns can get a little thinky. So you, like talk so about you, tons of downtime there. So you, so you went and ordered a pizza and went to the bathroom and came back and it still wasn't your turn. Correct. The, probably just finished that that first round. Oh yeah, yeah. I can't remember. I think we went and played Pathfinder Adventure Card Game while they were playing Five Tribes, if I remember correctly. But yeah, I don't know if it was a long time ago. So it is. Yeah, so it's a great two-player game. Um, I've heard nothing. I actually, and to be clear, I haven't played it with more than two, but I've heard nothing but negative things about the uh, over two experience. So okay. Well, Mike, that's uh, that wraps it up, man. That was like a forty-two-hour recording. Yeah, two hours and uh, 45 minutes about. All right. That was, a, that was a long one, but the next one will be short, right? Well, it'll be shorter than this, I think. <laughs> um, yeah, I talked. I felt like I talked a lot more this time around than I did the other ones. but. Yeah, well, I mean, obviously we like these games more. So our, our crossover counts at 10, huh? I'm thinking we might end up at just 11 then. Um, uh, it's going to be 12. It is going to be 12, which is what I guessed. There, there's okay. one more that I have that you did mention, and then I know for a fact there's one on both of our top 10s, and then I know for a fact that the other eight on my top 10 you do not have in your top 10. All right, so it is going to be 12, man. It'll, so it, it'll be 12. I wonder, I wonder if you can guess what, uh, you know, what, what that game is. Well, I know one for sure. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I would have guessed, yeah, the one I guessed, I don't want to give away to listeners, the one I guessed earlier before we started, and you said that's not even on your list, so I'm not sure I know. Um, I'll have oh, to, I'll yeah, to, yeah, yeah. I'll have to look. I'll have to look. 
Mm-hmm. And we've had a lot of close calls to, I'll say, like games where, you know, there are considerations for me. Stuff like Marvel Champions, um, Mage Wars, like those those games were considerations. Sure. And like I flick flick it up. I would have been I still don't have enough plays in it for me. Otherwise, I, that game is that game's a blast. So you'd also like um, there's also flick them up Dead of Winter, which is really cool. It's cooperative or team based. And then there's a zombie tower, which is like a dice tower. But you put these zombies on this like on this tower and then you pull the lever and they drop out. And that's how they attack you randomly. It, did you it, say, it did sounds you, stupid, but it's really cool, really well done. You already said Magic the Gathering, right? No. Oh, okay. Never mind. I figured it out. Whoa, whoa, whoa. I'm not sure. I'm not sure what you're saying there. <laughs> All right, I figured it out. All right. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I do think you'd like to flick 'em up that a winter. Yeah, I probably would. Flick 'em up's a great game. So yeah. So. But. Anyways, um, if you're still listening to this, uh, well, thank you for listening. Uh, I can't believe you have nothing better to do with three hours of your life. For real. <laughs> for real. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's it. Yep, yep. We've been we've been going way too long in this. So we'll see you next time with uh, our top ten, the t- the twenty best games or nineteen best games of all time, I guess. So. Thanks for listening. Until until next time, happy gaming.